<laughs> Wednesday night generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And and the show just seems to get better and better. Yeah, it? no, this is good because I just finished a book called Long Shot. Well, actually, I did an audible book because I'm now kind of lazy and prefer to be read to. Um, but our next guest does his own audible. So I like that. And uh, mm. this. Yes. And I have a lot of questions. It's very interesting. I saw a lot of parallels between their campaign, much on a macro level than what we were dealing with. But yes, our, they had to cover a lot more territory than we Yeah, no, but just the, the blackout, the just all, like there were so many things that were so similar that they were dealing with. And I just, I find it very interesting that they had a very similar experience on the macro level that we had here. Yeah, there's no surprise. I mean, obviously, uh, for those of you who know our wonderful guest this evening yeah. is going to be Zach Robin, who was Andrew Yang's campaign manager for his 2020 presidential campaign and continues to work with him with uh, Humanity Forward and, of course, now with the Forward Party. Uh, goes without saying that uh, we're reaching sort of this breaking point in our yeah. electoral uh, political system. And we need to be able to not trepidatiously walk into this next phase, which is not only organizing outside of electoral politics, but the prospect of forming another path within the electoral system that I think a lot of people are interested in. And if anybody can really speak to that, it is going to be. But I do want to say like this, the book, because I read it or listened, you did not, because we can't, we don't, we don't both do all books. Like one of us I'm does, doing but, a book, okay, she's doing like a book. that's how it kind of works. But um, yeah, no, it's really quite good. So the book is called Long Shot Guys. So welcome Zach Grauman. I'm, I'm going to do it. Look. It's a generational change. Hi. Look at that. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, Hi, for man. sure. You're, How's you're it going? Very fancy. I'm great. How are y'all? We're good. So I, I just finished listening to you tell me your story, basically. That's why I love I'm Audible. Sorry you when you suffered it's... through hours no. of me droning. No, I like <laughs> it. In fact, I only like it when, or like it best when it's the author and it's a nonfiction. Um, like to me, that's the best way because I feel like I'm getting a private lecture. And we've never met. Um, I don't even know if we've ever spoken on the phone before, uh, because no, Andrew I was think so I was helpful Zoom with you at one point when Andrew was in, you know, supporting you, endorsing things like that. But I, uh, it's nice to meet virtually, I guess. Yeah. I am very, very impressed. Like I, I just, I loved listening to the story and a lot of it was very, very familiar. And one of the I'm key sure. takeaways, like that, whenever you would say, let Yang be Yang, he and I have had this fight more times than I can count. And it's like literally the same kind of thing. So talk a little bit about what your experience was as an outsider um, dealing within the, the two-party paradigm. Oh, man. Um, well, I'll, I'll even say this is that the book, of course, is about the Yang 2020 presidential race and, and the journey behind it. But really, and you've, and you've now read it, Jen, and thank you for doing that. It's you probably one of the bigger takeaways is that it's actually not about Andrew. It's about a bigger, more macro change in our political system. Right. Um, and so Andrew was completely anonymous coming a complete outsider, totally grassroots, uh, from unknown to in a way is a national superstar. There was a point, I think I mentioned the book where he was the number one Googled man on the planet, uh, for yeah. a, a few minutes. Um, and, uh, he outlasted, you know, 
a number, three quarters of the Democratic Party's best and brightest, right? Um, including our sitting vice president in our, and our polling in our own state. Like, this is where this guy came to you. Now, the reason that happened is not because Zach or Andrew or our staff were just some sort of geniuses or political experts. In fact, we were complete novices, um, knowing some things about marketing and entrepreneurship, but nothing about politics. The reason that happened is because the game is changing. And um, I talk about this in the book a bit, but one of the hardest parts was all the things we had to do to earn media and stand out and contend and fight for legitimacy and scream for attention, all those things. Those things started to cut the other way, particularly in the Democratic Party, when you then had to line up the party um, with more traditional voters and they, they cut the wrong way at times. So that that balance of authenticity which is really a balance between like seriousness and real and um, and maybe more loose or uh, off the cuff. Uh, it's hard. It's really hard. Every candidate has it, but us in particular, having to compete in such a crowded field, um, there were some things we did that trailblazed, and other things we did that you know I don't. Um, I probably wouldn't recommend at times. So, uh, whipped cream. No, but timing is, timing is everything. I loved hearing about what was going on with you guys dealing with the debates and the whole thing about the tie and the whole thing, because like that is totally the kind of stuff that we're dealing with at every single level. The fact that yeah. you want to bring something different, but yet you're trying to do that within that square box. So, and, and it's so difficult. Like we're really navigating this very weird, like fine line. And I really would like to just be in a different box. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. like that, that's what we're really wanting to get to where we don't have to be within, because most people appreciate authenticity. Most yes. people, when you just talk to them and you're nice and personable, like someone like Andrew, they're just going to like him. They're just going to oh, yeah. like him. And, and, and that is something that is, I think, is what we need to be focused on. And the party keeps that from happening. Well, your point, the key words you just said were most people. And that's actually the, the challenge. And it's one you faced um, head on, frankly, is that most people don't vote in a primary. Exactly. Most people aren't paying attention to politics. Most people could care less. The problem is those who vote in a race that you're running or in a New York City mayoral race or in some ways at Iowa or um, New Hampshire presidential primary, although those are a little bit broader, um, but most people are not voting in those. So the people who are, are usually like team Democrat, like they're team yeah. Republican. What does that mean? Like I actually coincidentally like wrote a mini thesis on this in college and how <laughs> being a Republican and voting for a Republican and voting for a Democrat is the same thing as rooting for the Red Sox or the Yankees. And it's actually gotten worse since when I graduated school, but um, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan uh, and there's nothing, Tom Brady's probably the greatest quarterback in the world, and but there's nothing you can say to me or no evidence to the contrary to convince me that he's cool or he's good at football. I loathe <laughs> and you have come to the right place. <laughs> Begrudged, unhappy Dolphins fan. Oh, there yeah. is nothing yeah. I hate more than Tom yeah. Brady. Like, and he's amazing, but it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter I don't care. Me. Don't care. And that, but that's politics, right? right. It's, there's nothing you like the Republicans are the bad guys. They're evil. Um, and in these primaries, you as a challenger, uh, or Andrew in my, in my case, was uh, he gets framed as, 
whoa, 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 he's either too much like the right or he's too different or that. And it's, um, you're not talking about the average person, you're talking about the average voter and you're actually specifically talking about the average primary voter. And those are different. And that was a learning curve for me, for sure. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, frankly, political consultants just kind of speak the same language because that's how it works. Um, and it sucks and you guys have lived it. Um, but uh, we like the big, like honestly, Andrew with the forward party is probably the only thing I've seen to someone at least offering a solution to trying to fix that. Cause you have to open them up or else you're just going to have the same people voting for the same people over and over. Right. Yeah. We're speaking with Zach Rauman, author of long shot. I think one of the things that became very uh, unnerving in many ways, because I thought Andrew did an amazing job really honing in on UBI when he ran for president. But oh. when he ran for mayor and he had to take on somewhat of a different dynamic, identifying with all of the things that is involved with being the mayor of the biggest city in the country. That's the, the last chapter the of the book is about the mayoral race. <laughs> Go on. Sorry, I digress. And what you what you learn is that one of the biggest reasons why such a terrible mayor is running New York City right now is because there was a collective effort amongst the what I would call the rabid left, not not extreme or anything like that. It's it's just this um, this this overreactive left is the best way to describe it. Andrew had a very bad take on Israel. But at the time, the attitude was, well, because he had a bad take on Israel, let's just cancel them all together. Let's not even let's tell people don't rank Yang became a thing, but rank Adams instead. And now as a result of that, you now have one of the, you're going to have one of the worst mayors New York City's ever seen. And that could have been avoided if there wasn't this knee jerk reaction of maybe not all of Andrew's takes are good. And as he said, when he came on our podcast, I can be right with progressives on 20 issues. But if I'm wrong on the 21st, I'm finished. That's it. They're done. That's it. <laughs> and that uh, yeah. to me is the biggest indictment of the left is this idea that it is a purity test and that will get us nowhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's in California, you know, they own the Democrats own everything right uh, up and down the state legislature to, you know, congressional representatives, et cetera. But they voted against Medicare for all or fixing healthcare. Uh, like, the, you know, like we can't get out of our own way. Um, the now I, I'll say a couple of things. I get to caveat because I had what uh, in politics what's called a dream role, uh, which right. is a dream role of senior yeah. advisor. And when you're mm -hmm. a senior advisor, you get to take all the credit if you win and none of the blame if you lose. That's why right. so right. wasn't your campaign one. If Andrew had won for mayor, I'd be like, I led that thing. I was the you know, as, genius. As I win, tails you um, lose. Yes. Uh, and if because he lost, I got to be like, whoa, 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 just a senior advisor here. Let's be, let's be honest. Um, the reality was, I, you know, involved, but um, definitely not as heavy as the presidential and is more on debate and some comms stuff. But Andrew is his own comms guy. And that's where you see t takes on Twitter. And he can be susceptible to sometimes uh, uh, certain experts around him that, um, are only, you know, he's not always getting the full picture given that he's human being, right? Uh, so I would say, but the mayor race, man, I learned so much about local politics just watching that race closely because I never had. Um, mm. It's a tough race in general. I mean, everybody hates Bill de Blasio, but no one voted for him. Like, I mean, it's like 9% of the city actually votes in that primary. Right. Uh, That's the worst. Yeah. So like, yeah. and that primary is in June after a presidential race. So everybody's electioned out if you will and actually if you wanted to switch parties or get involved you pretty much got to do that in february so it's like 
very much uh, the establishment race. Um, but I'll say, I mean, it, like talk about people who are on Team Democrat or following suit. Like, so I've said this. I said this on Sagar and Jetty's podcast, and um, they're talking about uh, talking about this race. So there was Catherine Garcia runs for she was running for mayor. She was the uh, former head of sanitation under Bill De Blasio. So I wanted you to like think about this. Bill de Blasio, most hated mayor of all time, at least at the time. Um, and the number two issue in New York City, at least actually number one before the crime epidemic uh, post-COVID, uh, was trash. Everybody was pissed off about the trash. So this woman is the sanitation head and in charge of the trash um, and is not particularly charismatic. She's not a compelling speaker. She wasn't a great debater. She's in uh, charge was of not trash. Lot going for her. And as a result, she wasn't raising a lot of money. She was pulling at one or two percent. That's what's happening. There is one little the caveat. Times, what's there happening? is one little caveat I also want to throw in that I know you weren't going to mention, but I really thought was really seedy at the time. She uses the last name Garcia. She is no longer married to the man whose last name was Garcia. There so it she, is. Yeah. And she's not Latina. She is not. She is not. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, no, that'd be great. Add on. Like, this is what you're talking about. Like, okay, cool. And then the New York Times says, this is our pick. And she goes from 2% to 23% essentially overnight um and that's the game right it's new york times readers um and followers and essentially local news watchers that's most of the and like you know there's republicans thrown in the new local news category but that's pretty much the the game um so uh it's tough to um you know i think andrew given the crime spike uh, an outsider, like a lot of his message going into it was less, uh, less compelling, um, given that the environment shifting, I talk about that in the book, but, um, that, I don't know if Andrew's going to come out of that race, even if he ran a perfect race. And I, and I don't think we did obviously. So, um, but yeah, I man, learned a lot. <laughs> I think a lot of it also is it's not necessarily the best role for him to be in is as a mayor, oh, yeah, given what, grateful. no. I, I mean, I, I think that like he has so much broader appeal and capability. I think the reason that you were able to be so successful with the Yang gang is the diversity across the country and all that. And unfortunately, that kind of, you know, tribe like you called, I always say that, too. But that doesn't necessarily equate to local voters in a local mayoral race. You know, oh, like yeah. it's, it's just the national appeal. Yeah, but they're not who's voting in that race. That's the oh, only problem. He had more, more donors in the history of the mayoral race. And he had more donors in New York city in the history of mayoral race. Like think about that. The, the but they didn't a vote. Lot people, a lot of people didn't vote. Um, right. And it's tough. Uh, there's some obstacles to that, but it's also like, where did he come from? He came from the internet. He came from the average person. He was the politician. He was the anti-politician in many ways. Um, that doesn't equate that equates to momentum and crowd size and fundraising and a lot of things, but doesn't always equate to votes. Um, now, Andrew in like a um, let's call it a less crowded field. There's like one or two candidates. You're able to get more traditional Democratic voters or things like that. But uh, there was a lot of flavors when he ran for both mayor and, and president. So it's different. New York City. I, I'm, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, one thing about New York City is that. It, it really shows in many ways the problem uh, at the worst at the worst level of the Democratic Party machine. Uh, you see it in Chicago. You see it even in Los Angeles, where 
it doesn't really matter whether you're a great candidate or not. It just matters how entrenched you are within the machine. And seeing that Adams and Garcia were able to get where they got, one was the head of the Department of Sanitation, the other was the Brooklyn Borough President, uh, there really is this systemic machine control that runs from, you know, it, it could be the, the lowest, uh, you know, person at City Hall to, mm. you know, somebody like de Blasio, who is obviously putting his thumb on the scale behind the scenes. It does make it very difficult to run. But the one thing that we did notice in particular in the New York races was that a lot of the non-corporate candidates, whether it was especially at the city council level, at the state assembly level, whether they were supported by the Sunrise Movement, DSA, or the Working Families Party, a lot of these non-corporate candidates were actually able to break through. And I'm thinking one of the strategies that really is not given enough attention and not enough people are doing, and Jen and I, we're working on a project right now here in Florida, where everyone gets so ramped up for the presidential race or the big mayoral race or the U.S. Senate race, those are almost impossible to win. But these state races, these city council races, they're not only, a, you, you don't even have not only the ability to win, but they don't even cost a fraction of the money. So there's a lot of people who probably could be involved and really have an impact, but they're choosing to just say, well, I'm just going to run for Congress. And believe me, my friend, we know a lot of people like that who mm-hmm. have, do not have the financial infrastructure or the support mm-hmm. network. Well, we like, were those people. Go- but, we were <laughs> able to get, but we were able to raise almost 400000 on a first run and get almost 30% of the vote. Most yeah. people, you got a lot of people who are yeah. just getting in there with no money and no infrastructure. And I'm thinking, I'm not trying to tell you that you should just be running at this level. But what I am saying is that you need this infrastructure if you even want to have a puncher's chance at it. And at this point, I feel like, especially in the non-corporate movement, we are we cannot waste any more time. Would you agree? Generally, yeah, I do agree. I mean, you're coming from a guy that we just said, hey, let's run for president. Let's just shoot for the top out the gate. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I look, I, what's the answer to this? The, ra- the reality is no one wants to say it, but it's true. It's all about the money. That's the game. It's a money game. It's just like everything. Everything's about business down the end of the day. It's about the money. Um, and I don't mean that that's not uh, good or bad. It just is. I'm not trying to be you know, skeptical yeah. or a cynic. It just is. Um, I would say a lot of the pushback on Andrew was um, I, he didn't talk like a traditional Democrat at times or many times, um, which is part of it. But a lot of it was the outsider piece, right? Um, like there in politics, there's a system, it's a hierarchy, right? Like you start at the very local level and you work in your city and then you go to state and then you go to maybe, um, you know, you keep going that way and you develop relationships with the press and the traditional donors and the traditional players. So that when you do shoot for the congressional seat or the hot Senate seat or whatever, you're more of a known quantity, um, or a known commodity, excuse me. Um, then the press is less likely to attack you, at least initially, right? Because um, they're familiar with you and you have some relationships. Uh, you know, there's pros and cons to that, right? Um, I think the hardest part that is it, it is about the money. Um, and this is probably the hardest part. Uh, my favorite example is Cory Booker. Like, if you look at Cory Booker as mayor of Newark out the gate, like, what a badass, right? This guy's coming in, inspiring. I'm going to clean up streets, like, super, like, felt independent and raw and authentic. Like this is the next Obama, like let's go. And now Senator Cory Booker is now 
Like, how does he raise his money? He has to go to very, very wealthy people who are traditional donors of the Democratic Party. And now when he talks, he's still like an inspiring individual, but it's watered down. It's not as it's nowhere near as uh, revolutionary or uh, out of the box. It's pretty much down the middle. Right. He's a, he's a very solid moderate now. And so um, I say that as someone who likes Corey as a person. Right? I met him you know, hung out with a bunch of times on the campaign. So um, I, I would say this, and that's probably where you're getting at is. If advising somebody to run for office, I would start with something real small, like get that city council, get that local state rep, something real small, because it's not a ton of money. You have to quit your job. You might be able to, um, you don't have to necessarily outflank someone super far left or right. Like you've got some options there. And then decide your path because you're going to meet a ton of people, um, be able to do it like almost like cop politics light a little bit um and then and then take your big shot but i agree with you that the foreign point is like and why we ran for president it's like we didn't think we had enough time like we don't have time for andrew to have a 50 you know 15 year political career uh to to make ubi like a, a political option you know yeah one of the things i always said about andrew and it's you know i don't have to agree with him on everything but the thing that matters the most and this is what i really want to like emphasize the most to people is like they are so prone to just vote with whoever the slick talking politician is. But the problem is, is that that person is generally vapid and is just saying whatever they think they need to say to get you to vote for them. But when you vote for an actual person that just uses reason and judgment, you don't need to agree with them on everything because they're going to govern with reason and judgment. And it's like, I, I don't understand why people can't grasp that that's what we want. We want people, and what I like about Andrew in particular is he doesn't feel the need to be the smartest person in the room at all times and is somebody who is reasonable and listens to advice and people who he knows that there's people that know more than him about certain things. And I think that's what you want in someone who's in an executive position. You want someone to surround themselves with really smart people that they don't, you know, because they don't know everything right. and just use good judgment. It's really not that complicated. Oh yeah, I mean, like, so like I mean, Andrew's a, a real human being, and and you know, shows yeah. emotions and humanity many times in the trail, and not a, not a politician, not a trained politician, not a work politician, and the real, and, and I think Mac just commented the Democratic Party, you don't the Democratic Party changes you or what he said was, um, um, uh, but I, I'm thinking like, if you we've talked about this a bit. If you look at the incentives of a politician, they are to eventually become plain vanilla. Like that's what ends up happening because anytime you say something out of line or out of the box or controversial, you get hammered. You get hammered with your donors and your constituents and your, uh, you know, the, the, the people you're trying to get th things done with and the press and X, Y, Z, right? And so eventually you, that's painful as a human. It's not fun to be, even if you're right, even if you're doing the right thing, even if the vast majority of people are agreeing with you, if you're getting a bunch of hate and people cutting that way, it's not fun. Um, and so as humans, they end up in kind of this, you know, terrified to make a mistake type politician. And that's tough. And we're all sick of it, but the system itself doesn't really allow for that. So I, you know, part of what I talk about the book is how the game is changing. There are cracks in this particularly at the national level, like you're starting to see alternative media strategies work, you're starting to see social media actually correlate to votes and money and things like that. But it's not there yet, right? We're not there. You're still seeing, particularly at a local level, you're still seeing a lot of the quote powers that be in the traditional gatekeepers of power still have a pretty outsized influence. 
One of the things that happened during the mayoral race that to me really is what defined it in so many respects was when Andrew kind of had the idea towards the final weeks that it probably wasn't going to happen. He was making a concerted effort to push for Catherine Garcia to become the mayor by saying, well, look, if you're going to rank me first, please rank her second, because we do not want to have a mayor like Mayor Adams. He was the only person who was employing the strategy of let's change the game. Let's utilize ranked choice voting for what it's worth, which is let's not be in a situation where we have to choose the lesser of two evils. Right. Let's allow ourselves to have more of a choice. And he was the only candidate running who was doing that. And I'm yep. thinking, yeah, this is it may not be the, the way it is now, but it's going to eventually be that way because that's the only way things are going to change. Ranked choice voting and open primaries, as the forward party is pushing, we believe, will change the electoral infrastructure in the United States. Very much agree. I think the proof's in the pudding. I thought that the candidates were generally nicer to each other and more compromising in that mayoral race, as you know, as ugly as those types of races can get. Um, and look, the reality was like the city overwhelmingly voted for Eric. It wasn't. Um, you know, I mean, he was ranked pretty high in every round. Like we could say what we want about the guy and, and his background and what he's doing now. But the reality was a lot of people in a when the crime is rising, they really wanted a cop as the as the mayor. Right. And that was a really compelling pitch. Um, so um, I think great choice voting worked then like we, they may have, you know, people may have buyers and more, so wherever it is, which tends to happen with the New York City mayor's race. Uh, people tend to hate that blame the mayor for lots of things, um, especially when the city's kind of nasty right now and recovering. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, it's Andrew's big thing now, and he's right, is, and he, he learned this, and I learned this with him, it was like, it, it was, you can nitpick the candidate all you want, right? We're like, oh, should have said this, shouldn't have tweeted that, shouldn't have done this, should have handled this, should have gone to this stage, blah, 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 blah. The reality is we have a system that's cutting the wrong way. Like we have a system that's going to prioritize the, uh, either the extremes or the vanilla, right? Um, right. Was like, and you got you had that with Trump and, and Biden, right? Um, in, in a way, um, but you see that up and down the ballot. So, I agree with you on on ranked choice voting and open primaries. It would just make the system more interesting, frankly, and easier, Jen, for you to run. Um, you know, like you're not fighting an uphill battle at every step, right? Um, yeah. Well, if we had open primaries here she would have been gone so long ago. Like, honestly, if we had open primaries here because the independents and the Republicans hate her and they, they, you know, most people don't understand why she's there. Like we'll go to people that are in more conservative area or whatever, and we'll be talking to them and they don't know that, oh, we have closed primaries. So they don't even get a say so. And the reason she sits there is because we have closed primaries and nobody knows this. And they don't want to change their registration just for one election. And that's yeah. that's the biggest. Well, that's also a pain, right? The fact yeah. that you have to like, register. The whole thing's nonsense. And you end up with these one-party states, New York and California is the worst example where everybody there is blue. And so there's nothing changes. Nothing has to change because there's no risk of – the only risk is getting outflanked to the left. Um, right. And while the rest of us are like, I mean, look, what, I mean, Nellie Bowles wrote a fantastic piece in the Atlantic. I hate when people say stuff like, oh, so-and-so read this in the Atlantic, but it is no, dynamite. She wrote about how San Francisco is a, a failed city and it is. Um, and it's because a lot of things we're talking about. It's just a breakdown. It's awful. Yeah. Um, so I, look, I, this is the biggest thing I, I say by Andrew. It's like, 
Do I agree with everything? No, of course not. He's a human being. Um, uh, I disagree on plenty of things. But is he? Do I respect him? Yeah, I respect the hell out of him because he said this is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do to move to universal basic income. Someone needs to run for president. He's like it's the right thing to do to start a third party. And people are going to shit on him all the time. Fine. <laughs> But is he right? Probably, in my opinion, yes. So um, time will tell, but I felt like history has been pretty favorable to Andrew Yang's policies, at least. So, um, and I talk about that in the books, like this stuff is, this is the new norm, like identity branding and this authenticity overall and the game changing. This is, this is where we're going. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, we had um, Jesse Ventura was on the other night and we were talking with him a lot. And one of the things that he said that we've said from the beginning is that if any third party is going to have some sort of chance, it's going to be what Andrew's doing because he's somebody that can actually see the strategy of how to get it done yeah. and and not just right and not just host events with big name speakers and then do nothing. Um, I have a nice website but, with a lot of big names. Right. That's that. Yeah. Right. And so what we basically what Jesse said to us is, well, if, if I can get on the ballot, then I'll do it. And so my like that, I think, is a very good goal. And I'm thinking like I want and he said he spoke with Andrew about. Yeah, they've been chatting. I think Jesse's a fascinating. So I was talking to Andrew about like your issue is the issue with the third parties. You need a it's the same issue we had with universal based income. You need a messenger. Um, You need a human being that we can identify with and connect with. Um, And that's hard because. Most people with the ability to do it are pretty much entrenched on one side or the other. Um, and then you have the billionaires who, you know, there's pros and cons to bringing in certain types of billionaires running for office, but it could fund their own race, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Jesse would be in the category of a small handful of folks that, yeah, if they made a, took a crack at it, they, uh, they could make some noise. Um, and if anything, to me, like, I, like Andrew's like on record saying, I'm not going to, like I think he thinks Trump is disrupted to the system. Um, he's not going to try and you know ruin it for um, for because I think his route is more Biden than Trump, right? But if anything, a strong third party candidate is going to bring awareness to the fact that our system's so busted. Um, I think a lot of people are warming up to that as we speak. Yeah, I think if Jesse runs, he will run to win. Um, I think that. Uh, it's been a generation since Ross Perot uh, really shook things up. Unfortunately, he was not the right person in terms of trying to build out that infrastructure. He had his own motivations as to why he did it. And if he actually ran a really well-structured campaign, he might have shocked the world, but he didn't. In fact, I think a lot of people forget that Perot dropped out of the race at the beginning of the summer and then managed to get back in at the end. Uh, I remember. You know, but I can tell you of all the people that my father is self-made, you know, he literally came from nothing and has done pretty well for himself. In all the years that I've been following politics, there was no one, and I mean no one, that he was enthusiastic about supporting other than Ross Perot in 92. <laughs> and uh, I am almost assured right. that if there was like this really galvanizing outside the two-party duopoly Jesse. person like a Jesse. Well, he's one as an independent. Yeah. Like that's been proven that he yeah. was able to do that. There's not a lot of people that actually have that record. And and you don't really know it until you're in the moment, but you can kind of see, and, and especially being in it, the restlessness amongst the populace that people are really tired of this. They know how the game is played now in a way that maybe they didn't even realize before. They know that the Democrats are basically paid losers, that you could get so much stuff done right now. There's always a built-in excuse. 
There's never the use of the bully pulpit, something as simple as that. And I think people say, well, you know what? Enough of this crap. You know, now we know why we got Trump in the first place. I wish more people knew that. Yeah. I mean, if you had a bigger. The other thing is that the Democrats are like we get Trump out of there. All's going to be well. And now things are awful. Right. Um, And so that's not helping. I think one of the things that's crazy, if you look at the numbers, is um, Roe v. Wade gets overturned. Right. Essentially. Um, And what? An action like that normally would spike massive protests and donations and grassroots support and angry and anger and riots in the street. And the numbers from the ACLU and Planned Parenthood and a lot of the women's movements, like minimal. Like people are just fed up. They're tired. They know it's not going to work. They're tired of wasting their money. Um, And it's like we're all seeing like nothing helps. Like I can give I can pick the you know, the asshole that is Donald Trump, or I can pick the Democrats who are going to talk a somewhat nice game and not do anything. Like that's where, that's our choices and everybody hates it. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, I I think uh, Andrew, uh, the forward part needs a compelling candidate. I I love Andrew, but I think he would come with probably um, more baggage than you'd want in that candidate. Um, You'd want someone new um, without, who also didn't found the party, I think. Um, I'm not sure. Um, Yeah. And he's also somebody that, like, while I I fully think he would be capable of doing that job, I just feel like there's so many more influential, powerful positions for him to be playing than being sort of the face of something. Uh, <laughs> I just think that, you know, he's just very effective at getting things done. Yeah. I, look, I mean, look, we, we looked at, um, you know, exploring working in, in the White House and various, you know, whether it's a cabinet role or just, you know, there's, there's other types of roles you can work in there. And none of that was appealing to Andrew or frankly myself, like those jobs are pretty awful. No offense <laughs> to anyone who lives in DC and works in there, but you kind of know your job stuff. Um, I was just, we would just talk to people that what they were doing and what the day to day was. And, and the most I got out of people were that they would write white papers. Um, and they talked about them like they were big deals. And I'm like, man, no one has ever read that white paper. No one ever care about that. white. Nobody paper. cares. Um, so it's tough, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, look, Andrew is super young, like he's 47 or whatever. Um, he's got a pretty bright future. Um, and the thing about Andrew is he cares and he, um, he's a man of action, right? Which I, yeah. which I do always respect. Like he will not sit on his hands. He refuses to. Um, so yeah, we'll be stuck, stuck with him doing crazy shit, trying to fix his place for a while. I think that's a good, <laughs> accurate prediction for the future. What was your- what was your motivation to write the book and what are you hoping people get out of it? Yeah, I, um, so it's probably two things. One to so Andrew, when we finished the race, Andrew's like, I'm writing a book. I'm like, great. And then he's like, and I'm like, what's it about? And in traditional Andrew Yang fashion, it's like logical and numbers oriented and solutions oriented about the breaking two-party system and how we fix our duopoly. Right. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, is anyone going to write a book about, I don't know, the cool campaign that just happened and uh, what it means. Um, So that was like part of it. I was like, well, maybe I should tell the story of the campaign. Um, But the reason, bigger reason is the why. And the why is it's, um, there's a reason that, you know, the first four or five people we had in the campaign, self-included, had zero years of combined political experience. Um, And this man was completely anonymous and a political novice. And there's a reason he was able to contend at the highest levels. And it's because 
we were playing a different game. Um, we were focused on the attention economy, which is the all out war for our attention that we navigate every single day, right? We weren't, we knew we weren't just competing with Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and Liz Warren, the usual suspects. We knew we were competing against Taylor Swift and the Kardashians and Game of Thrones and your friends' text messages and Target's most recent email, whatever it is. Um, we had to be more interesting, not just than the other candidates, but then what else was hitting your and fighting for your attention every day. Um, so the tactics we took to brand him and build our tribe and um, let our community in is stuff that can be used across business, uh, politics, nonprofits. Um, and it's stuff I just thought people should know that we've tried a whole bunch of things. A bunch didn't work, but a bunch did. Uh, and this was meant to be sort of a playbook for folks either running for office or building something. How do you stand out when you, how do you compete? We're not supposed to. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that was the why. And then it, it is funny. I'm not funny, but the stories are funny. Does that make sense? Jen? I, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I think, you know what, I think you're funny, but what, what I thought was even more interesting is you are very similar. Like when I'm listening to you talk, I could, I could really hear that you have this sort of similar to Andrew nerd background going on here. Like you guys mm -hmm. are really on the same wavelength, like kind of nerd humor. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and if I talk to folks that, um, like Carly or Shelby or some of the folks that were there from the beginning, but at the senior level, they would have, they would tell you like me and Andrew, like we disagreed all the time, but we were very clear eyed on how to run for office this way. Right. Uh, hell or high water. We were going to, we we're not going to play the same game. Um, and it's, I think it's because in the beginning we tried to play that game. We tried to be the <laughs> traditional fundraisers. We got one of the biggest democratic bundlers, to throw a fundraiser for us early on. And it was a total bust. Like we would do the traditional game. We try to get endorsements. It was awful. And then we're like, screw it. Sam Harris, Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, pot, like these breakfast club, the podcasts, the rallies, we started playing our own game. Um, and you know, we focus on a Elon Musk and embracing an Elon Musk endorsement rather than whatever insert politician was going to endorse us. Um, so it's easier on a national scale. Like some of the stuff is not as applicable on a local level. Um, but some of it does apply as you probably could think of Jen as you were running. Like, and you probably, I feel like you did a good amount of them too. Like to have the success you had, you got to find your lane. You got to find your supporters. You got to let them in. Right. And feel connected to you. Yeah. I actually, I, I mean, the book resonated with me. We were really on like a micro level of what you were talking about, what we were dealing with. And I decided from the very beginning, I wasn't as, we're going to win. I was a lot more realistic. Like mm. I, I knew that we were likely not going to win. I was infinitely more prepared to lose than to win. But what we really wanted to do was create a coalition, start building a movement, start having like you, what you call your tribe and getting that going. And I decided we were going to do a service campaign. I said, we're going to just create community service. We're going to have all of our volunteers did service. We were a service campaign. And so I spent 18 months building up this idea that representation is service and we're going to show you what that looks like. This is what your representative should be doing is serving the community. And right. that resonated with people and it outlasted the campaign, which is right. exactly what you're talking about. We're doing so like, I didn't think of it in terms of branding, although that basically is what it is, is we branded ourselves a service-based campaign and that's the lane we went in. But yeah, we essentially did something that outlasted one candidate's campaign, which was what, that was my goal. Like that mm -hmm. was, that was sort of what I was thinking because yeah, I was infinitely more prepared to lose than to win. 
Did you, when you were fundraising, did you say to particularly like larger donors or more influential people in your community, like, hey, back me now because I may not win, but I'm going to be, I'm going to create something for a long haul or run again in the future. Like, was there that element of fundraising? I feel like that a lot of first time candidates have to like sell the the long-term vision. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe I would have more, but I will say in all seriousness, and I don't say this like lightly, we have, she has a lot of haters. And oh, yeah, you probably of, found a whole bunch of low-hanging fruit. See, <laughs> that's the thing. And there was a lot off. of, there was a lot of people <laughs> with money that just hate her. Yeah. And so we did get that, but I learned very early on, we hired a finance person and I did call time and we were doing that and it was yielding nothing. It was yielding nothing because you can't build a grassroots campaign with old school, large dollar fundraising techniques. Like those are, they're not going to work. And I just, oh, it, it never worked for us that the way. The traditional democratic donor also much different than the Republican donor. They do not want uh, any primaries. They see that as uh, a persona non grata in politics, even to the oh, yeah. worst of the worst Democrats. Um, the Democrats as a party have the mentality of play not to lose, whereas the GOP plays to win. And very often um, they don't see the forest through the trees. What I try to explain to people very often, especially with somebody like Wasserman Schultz, Florida was a swing state, but it really is a red state and it really is being solidified now. Yeah. And if DeSantis wins by at least five points or more, which right now it looks like he will, then you're really going to have this argument of, Whatever you've been doing for the past several years from the point in which 2008, Barack Obama won the state of Florida by three points. But prior to, Florida has only gone blue uh, t twice in a presidential election since 1992. So it's it goes without saying that the old guard has to go. But it takes a long time for people to see that. And so if somebody like Jen, for example, was the most visible political figure in South Florida versus a Debbie Wasserman Schultz, that would have a tremendous impact on independent voters. They would feel a lot more comfortable supporting a Democratic candidate that Jen is behind versus somebody that Debbie's behind. In fact, we believe that the only reason why DeSantis is trending to become President DeSantis right now is because Andrew Gillum made horrific mistakes once he became the nominee of the Democratic Party. Did you Party. look at his campaign at all, just from like a from a campaign perspective, Andrew, Andrew Gillum? Andrew Gillum or DeSantis? Gillum. Uh, not as much, no. I have a lot more familiar. My parents live in Florida, so I'm familiar. I follow DeSantis pretty closely because I think he navigates the attention economy better than most, but go ahead. I'm like, yeah, no, but 100%. Gillum, it's sort of like, we're, we're actually working on a little book based on what we went through and really sort of like a play-by-play -play handbook situation. And one of the things we're talking about is that's a cautionary tale, what happened with Andrew Gillum. So yeah. he came out in the primary, very solid progressive, had the backing of like grassroots, had coalitions and progressives behind him. And he was able to beat who was favored, which was Gwen Graham like a legacy type of candidate, right? And then as soon as he wins that primary, he dismisses his entire team and starts calling in like the DC consultant people. And the next thing you know, he's running in the general, coming down here to South Florida with Michael Bloomberg and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and a yarmulke on his head. And that was it. And that was like, that's the direction he went. And all of the people that supported him in the primary, all the progressives, 
didn't come out and vote for him in the general. What made it even worse was that he did it in 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 Century Village in Pembroke Pines, Broward County. You don't need to be chasing votes here. This is this is supposed <laughs> to be like He's chasing money there. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just it was it, it, the whole thing. Like I felt like we were watching it almost like a train wreck in slow motion imploding. I didn't even see it so much happen during the election. But what Florida has been known for for many years is that if you're in the general election and you have a wide appeal, your focus needs to be on places like Pinellas and Hillsborough County out in the Tampa Bay area. Those at Hillsborough County in particular was the county that broke hardest uh, in terms of a swing county for Trump in 2016 that ultimately got him Florida and was really the difference in him becoming president. And the fact that they were making those decisions that seemed so like wrong. Well, I think they were sabotaging him, actually. I actually think the Democratic establishment when he won the primary, I think that scared them. I think they I think they actually preferred DeSantis. And I think they jumped on board and just sabotaged him because the truth is they prefer DeSantis than Gillum. You almost have to. You're implying a lot of of competence that I don't know. uh, That's true. You're right. I'm uh, I'm implying nefariousness as opposed to negligence. the, The thing that we've noticed that I think you've probably noticed as well is that we highly question a lot of the decisions that have been made, let's just say, in the Biden administration. And if they are heading for a colossal disaster in the midterms, which right now that is what is tracking. Uh, the, the thought process is, okay, it'll be an electoral disaster, but that'll give us an opportunity to raise a lot of money beating back against the GOP. Right. And they're, well, and, and they're not raising as much anymore, so who knows what happens next. Here's what I will say. There's this massive gulf in the United States of America political spectrum. And I say this as someone who's, I try not to talk too much politics. I'm trying to get out of it because I think it's, <laughs> I don't think I'm the best messenger for it. And it's pretty, pretty rough. Um, but I'll say you've got the, the far left, the purists, uh, where they have the the moral, let's like call it moral fight all the time to see who's uh, can virtue signal the hardest, and it's very tough to win, right? You have that far left, and then on the right you have Trump, who's an ass, um, and uh, frankly has this, um, you know, but basically you know the, the far right of the party on lock, and um, you know, and then but the where the the voting is happening is the moderates. It should be in the middle. But what's happening is there's a lot of stuff the government is not doing that the Democrats don't do well and Trump is too much of a jerk about. Or Trump will actually end up saying the right thing. Things like not making our kids wear masks, especially when the pandemic is over, or opening the schools up. And whether or not you have opinions on these things, these are things that are very popular with moderate voters. Moderate voters being folks who are either independent, lean a little left or lean a little right. And the thing about DeSantis, ignore where he stands because a lot of things he says I do not disagree with. A lot of tactics, a lot of the way the media presents him, I obviously uh, I don't love either. But I'll say he's done stuff in Florida that are would be and are popular with Democrats, especially moderate Democrats. He bumped the minimum wage up from eight dollars to ten dollars. Essentially, he's fu- he's put over four hundred million dollars into climate change efforts for coastal communities Everglades. in Florida. Yeah. Like, he also got a major he also got a major political win recently thanks to the Democrats when he vetoed the net metering bill, which yep. is the biggest crockish ish I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and so he'll he'll take the bullet off the chin and like yeah. hammer the media and get all the woke left going crazy. Moderates aren't on Twitter and don't care. Um, and what they care about is their schools reopening and their kids and like this this the state and the highways being clean and the things like that. And the reality is he's been a objectively like by the numbers, his approval ratings are pretty good. It's low. 
it's high 50s, low 60s at times in terms of approval. So like it sucks. But the reality is he's been at like you have to call him a pretty good governor for Florida in that sense. And that's what to me makes him dangerous. He understands the press game. He yeah. understands this lane. He's going to kick ass. He's out polling Trump right now. I don't know he if is. he'll actually run. He says he won't, but I bet he does. Um, uh, DeSantis yeah. says he's not running. He's he said that? been told it's like, let's put it this way. He said it off the record to people who would put it on the record that he, if Trump runs, he's not going to run. He's um, going but, to fi- he's going to fundraisers in Buffalo and right California. Now. He's yeah. been fundraising all yeah. over the place. He's yeah, so he's run. probably running, but he's going to have to make a call, right? Like they're all kind of banking on Trump either like falling in approval ratings or uh, his health deteriorating. Um, so he's doing what everyone would do if they're well, about to run for president. We've been saying one well, of these two no, is the next on, president. Hold on, I'm here. I'm talking. You have to let me talk. <laughs> I have so to talk to my fellow New Yorker. He's here. He has to understand. Well, actually, I'm not allowed in New York anymore. You got the hand I, signals down, brother. No, believe me when I tell you, I'm totally coming back in 24. And this Ron DeSantis is an ungrateful little son of a bitch. He totally took advantage of my ability to king make him here in Florida. And we're totally going to deal with him. And then we're going to deal with everybody else. This January 6th committee is totally fake news. I'm an innocent guy. I never told anybody to storm the Capitol. I just told them to walk around and act like you own the place. And we came pretty close, not close enough, but we'll be back in 24. Honestly, that's probably what he'll say. And by the way, the Democrats have been so bad, like that's going to be a winning message. Like, Yes, it's a really winning message Um, because Joe is already asleep. Have you seen the time? It's not even, it's not even siesta time and he's already in bed. And so DeSantis may raise all this money just to throw his name on the VP slot or a senior cabinet role and like chill there and then run when Trump's up, who knows? Um, but I will say, look, Don DeSantis, he can navigate the attention economy well. Yes. better than, And he does it for moderates. He does it, he enrages Twitter, but he appeals to his voters. He's doing it, his identity brand is like no nonsense. I protect kids and families in my state. And- I protect everybody. Oh, I'll see that you. Is, All right, go away. Like, that's him, right? And like, it sucks. Uh, but Democrats wake up because he's, you know, the next leader of the country at some point if we don't get our shit together. Um, our Democrats in this state actually think they're running a viable gubernatorial race against him this year. That's how delusional they are. Yes. I've already, I say it all the time, he's already won that. I don't even think he'll expend money in that race. Meanwhile, no, he's he will, on- but he doesn't have to. And as I've told, you know, as an example, DeSantis has already raised over $100 million. He's got almost a 10 to 1 advantage on the uh, next candidate. And even though it's pretty like just as an example with the Democratic Party and the fact that it's so discombobulated in Florida, you know, Charlie Crist is going to win the nomination. And yet Nikki Freed is still running. And if you really wanted to have any chance, just a puncher's chance, Nikki would Probably run for another seat right now. The deadline is um, she can't tomorrow. Run. She's not running for another seat. And and endorse Charlie, and then you would have you know basically a two you know plus month head start on campaigning for the general. But because that isn't happening, and because it doesn't seem like there's they really like each other, uh, you know it, this is what happens when if you don't have a good infrastructure, even if DeSantis is going to win by a wide margin, you don't have a lot of solid non corporate candidates that are running at the lower levels where we can really build that for the long term. But if you want to share with Zach what we 
what we are doing now. Well, we are in the yeah, process of getting, yeah, no, um, a friend of ours, Adam Christensen, who ran for Congress in the middle of the state when I ran in 20, he has come up with a program that is going to make it so that we no longer need NGP. Van is not going to be anything we're going to need anymore, which I can't wait to watch their heads explode when that mm. happens. But we just got, I want to say, did we get, well, no, Friday at the end of the day is the qualification period, but they were seeking to get 14 people on the ballot in this one slate. It's like actually the largest group of Haitians that are getting running as candidates in Florida. And it's all seats that they calculated were winnable that had nobody even running in them. Yep. And so and the Democrats are so feckless, you know, it could be like a two point margin, but they're not even going to bother putting anybody in the race. Mm. And so we got, I, I want to say they're going to have 14 when all said and done and running is like this solid slate of non-corporate people. And I, so, I mean, that's where our reality is, right? Like I think we, the Democrats, Republicans like fight all the time about the stuff that they, uh, supposedly disagree on but the reality is they agree on a lot of a lot of the same things and they're very much in this game of uh frankly keeping us in line and not changing much um and so um the local level is where you start um um and really the more people that run for office is uh you start you, frankly you start to normalize these things right um mm -hmm. where you just yeah. have more candidates saying things that make more sense um but yeah it's uh you know, I, I talk about kind of the brands for the moment and uh, identity branding down the stretch and what the future of politics. I, you know, I my bet is more DeSantis likes candidates who are know how to navigate the media and uh, rile up a, a quote unquote base. Um, yeah. And they probably won't be able to compromise much, um, which is like the biggest consequence. Right. Like that's the big thing that Democrats to me and AOC has tweeted recently that she disagrees. But to me, it's like. Yes, we want Medicare for all, but would we take Medicare for 80%? The answer to me is yes. If it, we have right now Medicare for zero, right? If like if that's the, the range you're playing, I would take a compromise to at least start. But we have a lot of, I understand why, but to me, I'd rather have progress, not perfection instead of what we have now, which is literally nothing and nothing's getting done. That's my opinion. Um, but uh, and I understand I've seen I've heard many, many times. So please don't at me, you guys. I've heard the other argument. I understand it. I just I don't think it's working right now. That's that's my point. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, well, no. you have a broken. That's system the key system. thing I took away from how you ran the campaign is you've got to ride the horse in the direction it's going and you've got to figure it out on the fly. And you made a comparison to a carnival ride about what it's like being on a campaign. And I've said from the beginning, I've always characterized it as you're on a roller coaster, you're in the front seat, the back seat is on fire, and you got to finish the ride before the fire engulfs the front seat. That's like that's energy. how that's how I felt when we were doing it. And it's right, like you there's no incremental learning. There's no learning curve, there's no there's no time. And with everything, with hiring and firing, like it's oh, just that was so hard. Crazy. And then the, the worst part for us, like personnel-wise, we had this really core, awesome team. Um and people are like dear friends of mine. And, you know, so we go from this small, you know, outsider shop ragtag group, and then we scale up and you want to promote everybody. Right. Because you're like, you guys have been here to get, but the reality is if you're right out of college running like a digital strategy or fundraising strategy for a couple thousand people, right. That's totally different than running it for a hundred thousand people. And in other, maybe a company had the opportunity to learn on the job or grow into the role. Hey yeah. man, we can be done tomorrow, right? Like we need to, we need somebody who's an expert right, right now, right? And that's the balance the whole time. 
I mean, the analogy I use is it's a zipper ride at a carnival where it's the one where it's literally like a zipper and you go up and down, left and right. And you have no idea which way you're going and you're probably covered in your own puke and the whole time because you're sick and it's disgusting. And you get off, you're like, what just happened? Um, that's what it <laughs> felt like. Yes. Um, you're and, really and yeah, it took honestly like because COVID hit right after the race, it took me like at least six months to figure out like who Zach Brown is as a human being again. <laughs> Don't you lose uh, yourself in this. And yeah, I, and I say like, one of the things I've noticed is I don't care how thick your skin is. Some of that shit's leaving scars. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's like it, people don't realize that even people who are very confident and have thick skin, like I've said to him, I'm like, that shit's going to leave a mark. <laughs> you, get triggered, you get triggered by this stuff. And then you end up doing the most risk averse thing you can, because you don't want the hate, it sucks. It sucks to get to piss people off. I mean, if you're a politician, yeah. you, uh, it, you you kind of want to be loved. Like you're trying to win the admiration of all these voters and people and be a leader. And leaders like to be followed, right? Like and so, like this isn't this isn't breaking news. This is how it works, yeah. and uh, that's what happens. It's really tough. It's I you know it's, it's a, the hardest part to me. I'm looking at the the future here. Is like something's got to give. I don't know what yeah. that is, right? We have too many things going wrong, not enough things happening to fix it. And uh, I don't, we're, we're losing trust in everything. Like oh, all these things. It's, I mean, you know, you call it the fall of the empire. I'm not sure, but I don't know what gives. I'm hoping it's the two-party system is what gives before like social unrest gives. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, people, uh, you guys will be front row, so you'll tell me, I guess. I've, yeah. Look, I've, I've already told if, him. I, I already told him. I'm like, if we do this again in 24, you're the person that I want. Like, I want you to come. Like, just listening to how you, like, the way you, it's just. Deputy, Deputy, and Deputy, I, Deputy Kemp. Like, we did it, the two of us together. Like, we were like you and Yang. Like, that was us. Like, we didn't know what we were run? doing. Are you doing it or you're, like, on the fence? What's your well, I'll say yet. Wait, I'm not, well, not this year. No, but 24 is a lot. I knew this year was going to be a shit show and I wasn't willing to run a grassroots campaign without knowing my district lines. And I honestly think people that did that, they're nuts. I, I would not have been able to do that. Should have saved money. Should have been saving money for when it makes sense. Yeah, I I mean, you can start fundraising now, which is what a lot of folks do. And they start hinting, I might run. You should do it. Well, you know what? The problem is you have to talk in favors. That sucks. You're like, get on the ground floor. And that, by the way, your point before, that's what Republicans do. They say, hey, uh, oh, you want me to support you? What are you going to do for my business? And they're like, well, I'll stay out of your hair. I'll fight for this registration. You know, they're like, it's all about what do you do for me? They're like, great. And then they introduce them all their friends because they're going to make us rich. That's what they do. I've been in the rooms. how they do it. Democrats, the opposite. They're like, what are you going to do that's right? What are you going to do that's morally right? And I understand <laughs> why they say that because they're trying to be the good guys. But how many times we got to get our asses kicked until we realize we have to play the same game they're playing? Um, I don't know. And they, people will get mad at me for that. But it's it's like... I'm more of a realist, I guess. And the amazing thing thing is you can do it without selling out. Yes. People do not understand that radical – it's not even the word – radical is not even the right word. But just truth tellers in politics, that is where you need to be today. Yeah. Just oh, that's a good point. Truth to power. It's probably you know probably some good advice is for folks trying to run for office now is that you do not have to go party line on everything. And I say party line meaning either moderate party line or progressive party line. You can say, and Andrew navigated this relatively well. At, I mean, to the extent that he could with you know the the forces against him. But saying 
Uh, I think the Green New Deal is an awesome idea, but it's probably too expensive and not realistic, and I'd probably take 80% of it what's great. You could say stuff like, I believe Medicare for all, but I'm also in a Medicare for all who want it, like Pete Buttigieg. I'm also super pro XYZ on the far left, and I'm more moderate on this. You don't have to take the the wing, because people, they we are rational, we, uh, you're somewhat rational human beings, but there are people, like especially the the average person, is able to hold two thoughts at once, right? So, um <laughs> I think, and as long as you're authentic about it, um, you're able to do so. And I think the Republicans are navigating that better than others. I thought uh, Youngkin, I thought, did a really good job in Virginia being able to say, like, I don't like Trump, but I understand he's got this thing in the party, and here's what I agree with, and here's what I disagree with, and this is why I want to be your gut. Like, that sort of aspect, as opposed to just falling in line behind um feeling like a robot, right? Well, I'll tell you, you're going to, if, if you if you watch either from the green or you just go on YouTube after this uh, conversation ends, we have two wonderful candidates that are coming on that are in high school running for state house in Ohio. And Look I still that. think one of the- That's what we're saying. And, and one what of we're the, talking about. And, and, and we talked about this earlier, probably the biggest problem as much as anything with the Democratic Party right now is that you have multi-generational heads of the party that are in their 80s and they are as corporate owned as you can possibly be. And they are not giving up that power. No, they have to they die there. They're, they're dying on those seats. Isn't that wild too? Like, I mean, how often you talk to an 80 year old? My grandma's 90, right? She doesn't read her emails. She barely can text. Um, like that. Like Diane, like Diane Feinstein. Yeah. She can barely like keep her head up. It's, that's it's gonna, what's happening. Yeah. Um, and, Guys. Hey, Sam. I just got a message from Sam who's joining. Um, yeah. I did. I don't know where Ohio 56 is. Where is that? I'm sorry. for, uh, for 56. I'm, I'm, it's outside. Oh, it's like northeast of Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, um, I'll tell you this quick story. And Andrew and I still laugh about it. We were laughing about it today. I spoke um, at all like the, every camp. The, the, okay. The, the Ohio Democratic Party had an event around what, the Ohio debate in 2019, like for the 2020 race. And they did an event at some restaurant and every campaign sent a representative to speak on behalf, like, you know, what their candidate was about. And they're like, you know, Kamala Harris sent his, sent her, her husband and uh, Chaston spoke from Pete Buttigieg's team. Like everybody's, it was a significant other or campaign manager. Uh, so I went and I spoke and I just gave Yang's stump speech, essentially, pretty much, cause I helped write it. Like I just verbatim gave his stump speech and it crashed and burned so badly because I'm, I'm not Andrew. I'm not an Asian man. Uh, the joke that really didn't land was the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. That went awful. Um, and so I like the takeaway, especially you guys, Sam and running for like be authentically you. That's, uh, you know, like it wasn't authentic me speech. Every time I spoke after that, I'm just going to say why I'm I like Andrew. I'm not giving his freaking stump speech. It's his speech. Right. So. Uh, yeah, it was awful. Sam was terrible. Don't. I'm glad it's. I don't think it exists. This is the only reference to it publicly. Sorry. That's. Um, yeah, terrible experience. You um, have done. You, you have done a phenomenal job. At, you know that you are. You want to say the the man behind Andrew, but your ideas, yeah. what you guys have been working on, has been immensely important. Um, Thanks, as I tell, as and as I tell everybody, regardless of whether or not you support Andrew or not. No one, and I mean no one, had a bigger impact in making Jen a viable candidate in this first go around as a congressional candidate than the Yang gang. Yeah, they so they're went, asking. It's nice to know yeah. at least Jen welcomes Yang advocates. 
I, Yang is the only other person besides Bernie that I would have voted for. I've been very clear about that. Like I, I don't, I've always liked Yang Gang and at member at Orlando, they had the best food at the mm-hmm. convention. The Yang Gang had the best food. So, you know, don't uh, in, ter- in terms of phone banking, no, for sure, for sure, everything you guys really have Love the an Yang amazing, Gang. amazing group of supporters. It was really and awesome. It, and it's a fa- it's a family. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And there is, I mean, guys, if you want to talk about a melting pot of all different walks of life and no oh, judgment, yeah. if, you're part, if you're part of the Yang gang, you're part of a family. Yeah, it's awesome. Like yeah. that is very, and especially nowadays, because it's all about, as Jen likes to say, reason, passion, and justice. That's what the group is about. That's what you represent. Guys, if you do not currently have your copy of Longshot by Zach Grauman, we highly recommend yeah, that you I just get finished it. it today, guys, and Zach does his own narrating on the Audible, which I appreciate. Yes. Stuck with me. Well, we hope <laughs> well, to be. And, yes. and as one of our supporters said, will you come back again in the future? We would love to have you again down the road. I'd love oh, to come back. Hearing. This was fun. I honestly he'll thought, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll bore him after 30 minutes. And we went for almost 40. So that's great. So yeah, thank no. you all we'll for having like me. A, we'll Thanks, do like, Zach. Yeah, we'll do like a Super Bowl one. We'll have Zach, Andrew, and Jesse Ventura. Oh, my God. I'd have a break. That would be a team. That would be one thing. Thank you, Zach. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Congrats on everything. Uh, We'll talk soon. Same to you, brother. Have a good night. Bye, guys. So we now are bringing our wonderful guests, Sam Lawrence and Sam Cow, from the wonderful state of Ohio that we were just in and wish we were there under better circumstances. He needs to tell us. No, Sam Sam C. I'm going to call him Sam C. needs to tell us how you pronounce, because you just butchered his name. Um, yeah. yeah so um i i, I go I, I go yeah that works too but um our, our catchphrase is holy cow so it's like also go by sam cow that's I what, said cow. yeah but is that but that's correct so he um, had it right yeah it, it, it's all right like anyway um but yeah this we'll go with sam cow. yeah sam cow yeah. i'm used yeah but you know what? That's the thing. Like today, like when I go and there's people that of um, from countries that whose names are hard for our, us to pronounce and they just dub themselves with some stupid gringo name so that the rest of us don't have to sit there and jump through hoops. Mm-hmm. And I actually that in, like I want to at least hear what it's supposed to be. And then yeah. I can decide whether or not my gringo mouth can actually say it. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I prefer Sam Cow because uh, it's what I've been used to all my life, and also okay. like our, 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 you know, our, if you know, Holy Cow just doesn't work as well. <laughs> I like Holy. Well, either holy way, Holy Cow, and then Sam Lawrence is stand with Sam. So <laughs> it is. It is kind of funny that you guys have the same name, and you're but you're not both in high school, right? Sam Lawrence, you are in high school. Correct? I'm in high school. Oh, wait, you're in high school. <laughs> Sam's in college. Sam Cow is a junior in high school. He, okay. uh, I believe he just okay. finished up his junior year. Yeah. I uh, just finished up my freshman year in college. Okay. So you're you're an adult, at least. Like, you could vote for yourself. Yes. Oh, I can vote, too. Uh, in Ohio, like, laws, the law has it so that if you turn 18 by general election, you can run. So I'm already on the ballot, and I can already vote. So I voted in the previous pro- um, primary, which was in May. Okay. That's awesome. So, yeah. Sam L., where is your district? I know that – are you both around the same look? Like we are literally the- right next to each other. So, like, really? Yeah. Is, 47 is, and 56. It's so insane how this works. Well, first of all, uh, with Ohio's Republican – Gerrymandering in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. I, I had two baby deer in my yard the other day, and I said I should name them Jerry and Mander. But anyways – 
Um, my district is uh, similar to Sam's. We're both in Southwest Ohio. I'm a county over in Butler County. I've got a third of that. So I'm in Oxford and Hamilton where Miami University is. Uh, and it wow. is, it's insane how two, a 17 year old and I turned 19 two weeks ago. So when I launched an 18 year old, both named Sam were running campaigns for state house in Southwest Ohio. I mean, it's nuts. Under it's the democratic great. party. How are they treating you? I see one of you. I think it's you, Sam Cow, that you have. There's somebody in that primary. There's a woman in your primary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so how how is the party treating you? So the party, of course, since we're in a primary, we're not supposed to like have any like endorsements from anyone in the party um, establishment. And so right now they're just waiting it out for us, one of us to climb out of our primaries. But my opponent and I, we're actually on very good basis. Um, we actually helped each other like a lot at the very beginning and, uh, we traded tips. And so we're trying to run like a clean and healthy primary and show to the rest of Ohio that, you know, the democratic primary here, like, you know, is we're running a good example and over there in the other primary where it's not as like sunny. Okay. Well, that's the best way to do it. You show people, you want to be the representative, be the representative. Absolutely. What inspired you guys? You know, obviously it goes without saying that the political climate in our country has changed dramatically in the past six years. I mean, it was always heading for sort of like a hot button type situation, but uh, what was your inspiration? Was there a particular candidate? Was it just a a particular policy or movement that really got you guys thinking, you know what? Who cares if we're young? Okay, but before that, Sam Lawrence, where do you go to school? So I just finished up my freshman year at Miami University. Okay, so you are at Miami. Okay, my mom teaches there. And your mom teaches there. Everyone, yeah, in this Ohio-like state, everyone knows. We're a tight-knit community down here in Southwest Ohio. And uh, like like Sam was saying before, I answer why I was kind of uh, intrigued to run. um, They're running that amicable primary just like a lot of people are running amicable primaries in Ohio on the Democratic side. Because when you look on the Republican side, especially in that Senate primary between J.D. Vance and Josh Mandel, they're mudslinging. They're really hitting hard on each other. We recognize there's a bigger fight here. We can't spend our resources on primaries because the Republicans have gerrymandered our state so bad. Um, And that's also kind of leads me into why we both decided to run. I can speak for myself. I worked on uh, I helped with Pete Buttigieg's campaign. And I heard you guys talking about the family that the Yang gang was. I got to say, Team Pete's been sticking through with me ever since his campaign. Um, But yeah, he, I mean, you guys know how young he was. He was 38, first openly gay person to win a contest in the presidential election. I, he was such an inspiration to me. And that kind of showed, uh, I think it's time for a younger generation to step up, especially when my opponent has two scandals in two terms. Yeah. Good point. No, we definitely think the young people need to step up. And most importantly, because I don't know how much longer I want to be doing this. Like, I feel like, and that's what amazes me about some of these older people in Congress. Like, aren't there better, more fun things for you to be doing? Pass the friggin' baton, Nancy. Pass the baton. We have that going on right now. With I can't you with guys, these people. You guys are probably familiar with a really amazing young candidate. Maxwell Frost is running for Congress yeah, in Orlando. Florida. And unfortunately, you know, and and again, he's not even, you You know, bring that up. Well, not even on policy necessarily is uh, uh, is Alan Grayson, you know, bad regarding, um, you know, most domestic policy, foreign policy is another story. He's a dinosaur. But yeah, move on. I am so tired of these old people. And I'm sorry. Yes, particularly men. I really am. 
and and he unfortunately is running, you know, trying to get into a race literally at the last minute against a, a, a young gentleman like yourself, who by congressional standards, being 25, is the equivalent of running for, you know, a state house at 17. Well, yeah, it's the youngest so, possibly be, yeah. right? And so, and he's been doing well. They're doing well with fundraising. He has good very support. Very well with fundraising. Very well. Great support. Good progressive in the race. He's got great volunteers. So someone who then says that they're progressive decides to jump in that race. See, and, I can't with that man. And he, what? And, and if he really wanted to, so he, if he really cared, he would he would run against one of the corporate Democrats that is in the same area that he's already run against before. He's a but coward. Instead, he's it's coward. like this. Yeah, let me see if I can kind of nudge in on the, yes. the young guys. So I could vomit. I would assume that you guys are getting a lot of that pushback of, you know, you're too young to be doing oh, this. Oh my, yeah. Have you um, been told that you should run for like, you know, your homeowners association board? <laughs> I'll let oh Sam handle this one. We, yeah, go yeah. For it. yeah, so yeah. just at our March for Our Lives, um, you know, rally like four days ago in Cincinnati, we met a bunch of like former like candidates that were talking to us and they're like, yeah, you know, we've been paying attention to the comments you guys have been getting on Twitter and they're, you know, they're pretty ageist. And I think that it's time to give, you know, a new diverse pool of candidates a chance because how can we say that they're not qualified if we haven't even seen them, you know, out there. And, you know, right now with the whole situation, it's worth a shot. And so I've had people come up to me and say, like, you know, also on Twitter saying, you know, you're, you're too young for to run for Congress. You're not educated enough. And I'm like, I'm not running for Congress, though. I'm running for state rep. So <laughs> you, the there's a lot of irony. Question we get. There is so much irony with that. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah. Oh. the number one question we both get is how are you on the ballot for Congress? And then we say, we're not running for Congress. We're running for the state house. And then they say, what's a state house. And so we have to get into that whole discussion. Double points. If they say oh. we're not educated enough to run for oh, Congress. That's good. Yeah. They say, yeah. go to, they say, go to school first. Yet we're both in school. Yeah. I in never, school. Yeah. One of the biggest reasons we wanted to have you guys on the podcast, not just because you're doing an amazing job of building this grassroots support. Because we like young people. But the non-corporate progressive movement really has a big problem when it comes to following the traditional machinations of the Democratic Party, which is a top-down approach. We need a bottom-up approach. That's Absolutely. why the GOP is so successful. Yeah. You could never... I mean, look, Trump was a very unique presidential candidate, but you could you never elect. Yeah, but you could never elect somebody like George W. Bush as president in the Democratic Party because he could never carry a party. He's not a dynamic personality like a Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, or Bill Clinton. You need to have somebody who is basically, you know, the, the tide is lifting you up to the top. And so if we were to build an infrastructure of people who supported universal health care, living wage, ending the wars, uh, the fact that the president could enact a, a climate emergency and build a clean energy grid. You know, we need this type of momentum at the level that you right. guys are and running And eventually at. somebody from that level will organically be in the position to take over where like the movement needs to be taken over. That's what they don't understand. They're too busy trying to fight to keep what the status quo. And even though... The, 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 the southwest region of Ohio in the Cincinnati area tends to be very Republican. If you start building that base right now, that is, that will turn at some point into a flipped seat if it's if it's not going to happen in the next few years, but in the foreseeable future. That is going to happen. 
Because right. you're building that infrastructure. Yeah. We already know, as you guys, I'm sure, are well aware. I mean, people see how low voter turnout is in congressional primaries. I can't even imagine how low it must be in state house primaries. Especially, yeah. especially since the Republicans moved our primary to, mm, to now right. August 2nd. And they're not telling anybody because no. the less people vote, the better they do. And people, I, I always talk with people and they're like, yeah, I vote down ballot. And I'm like, oh, that's good on you. And they're like, yeah, I vote I vote for Congress. And I'm like, well, you can get you know more down the ballot than that. You can go for county commissioner. You can go for mayor. And I, you know, right. We have to build, we have to, you know, start like a strategy from like bottom up. And that's exactly what the Ohio GOP has done, like historically to have such a strong solidified standing here. And we've seen that with Governor Voinovich's, uh, you know, sweep into office along with other statewide offices. And in fact, you know, I, I, in my personal opinion, I think that's the reason why today, you know, state auditor, you know, uh, attorney general um, and, you know, governor, all those statewide offices offices and also secretary of state, it's all Republican um, held seats. And here's what I'll tell you is, is that the Republicans in Ohio have been doing this bottom up approach, which I've been campaigning for the Democrats to do for so, so long, because I love the top of the ticket candidates, but you can't be friends with them. You can't have them in your living room. When you can get people excited about smaller candidates that get people to turn out and vote blue, the numbers will come for the statewide candidates. And that's what we need to start doing. And it's yeah. not just like a voting blue, because you know, to support the Democrats, but also voting blue because you, this is how you can save our state. You, you know, we've just had House Bill 99 passed, which, you know, you can, school districts can choose if they want to arm their teachers. And recently yeah. we made national headlines for the genital inspections for. Okay. You know, yeah. We're going to have to talk about that if you're going to bring that up. Oh, because I, want, yeah. I don't understand how that protects children to be looking at their genitalia. How does that violate your constitutional rights? Oh, for right. God. So, That's not going to be upheld, by the way. Like the that, of, that's yeah. The party of freedom has has continued trying to, to ban our books, to m- force mandatory inspections on children's genitalia. It's yeah. insane. It's insanity to arm teachers with yeah. 24 hours of training, only two with a gun. It's common sense. It really is common you, sense. You can't trust teachers with the curriculum. How can you trust them with guns? It's just that simple. Yeah. And I think that there's, uh, you know, again, there are many instances where people, um, they, uh, it's it's overly hyperbolic regarding how bad the Democrats, you know, are, let's say, in terms of their, the way that they operate, let's say, in California or New York, and then how the Republicans operate in their dominated states. The GOP in Ohio is really bad. It is not terrible. The yeah. FBI investigated our state house and deemed it one of the most corrupt right now in the nation. Yeah. And, and you know what? The the FBI uh, ranked Ohio state government as the most corrupt out of any of the 50 states. And I'm not was, surprised. Yeah, I'm not sure. Sure. I'm not surprised. Majority, you know, my opponent, again, I, like I said, my opponents had scandals. But the scary part about it, it is they're so blatant in their corruption and they're so yeah. blatant in these bills. And people pretend like these evils are somehow comparable. They're not. It's not even this, not even close to the same level. There's one party in Ohio that is for common sense and one that is for extremism. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. I just want I just want to say one thing, yeah. though, about um, when you do get low voter turnout, even though that's not good, it really makes it really possible for non-corporate people to be able to win local and smaller and state offices without expending a fortune of money. 
And so you need less voters to come out for you. And there, I mean, like you, it's a numbers game. You know this. It's a numbers game. It's how many voters can you get out and vote for you? And when you have low turnout, you need to get less voters as well. Absolutely. Do yeah. you guys know Nick uh, Rabondo by any chance? Does that name sound familiar? He's no. up near like Sandusky. Well, doesn't everybody in Ohio know him? Oh, for I'm God's sake. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He, no, he I, was, he's a great, he's a great uh, candidate for, that ran for Congress in a very red district. He was the, he was the Democrat, but, but he now, actually is a progressive. But, but now yes. he is, uh, is he a city council member? Or, but he's so an he elected did something official. Yes, local. but he's an elected official. Great. And the more that that local base gets built up, is really what is going to make the difference. Now, I don't know how much you guys are familiar with Jen's congressional run against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, but what we did in our race was focus on community service, basically transforming politics into service. So reaching out to the local small businesses, being in the community is so immensely important. Have you guys more or less figured out your strategy is it about, you know, providing service to the community? What has been the appeal? What is that strategy to really galvanize a lot of local support? Yeah, so and I, I can speak for my district. Uh, so our representative, we have had a representative who's been an absentee representative for the past eight years. And so he doesn't even show up to go vote. And, he doesn't you know, even and, vote. Yeah. yeah and, <laughs> you know, in the words of, you know, what he said in an article in 2016, you know, my vote doesn't matter. We already have a Republican supermajority. So why should I show up? Why should you even be there? Exactly. You, you know, when you're elected by, you know, the pop by popular demand based on people in your district that think their vote, votes like mattered. And you say that that's, that's that's a really bad example. And not to mention, you're from the party of fiscal responsibility while, you know, you're eating away, you know, our district taxpayers salary benefits. And so he doesn't even show up to vote. And, you know, I you see like the roll call sheet for like all these like controversial bills proposed in the Ohio State House. Just recently, you don't see Zeltwinger because, you know, you may you may think, oh, wow, he just he didn't want to vote for the yes on this bill. No, he just plain and simple he didn't even show up to give so, you a little bit of background on on Paul Zeltwanger, the current yeah. uh, representative in Sam's district. He's the, he's one of the four Republicans, Republicans who tried to impeach DeWine right. yeah. over his covid restrictions. Right. And that's about the most notable thing he's done. So, I mean, we get um, we're in contact with a lot of representatives that are currently serving because they're you know, they're egging us on. They love what we're doing. They'll sometimes send us pictures of this big board where they all vote. Zeltwanger's name is never, there. never there. Yeah. How and come like, you want terming out? Hasn't he been there a while? Like you guys you have guys term have, limits. I don't know. Yeah. No, okay. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll get to that. So yeah. in the nineties, our state, so uh, our state had just rampant government corruption and still, of course it's like multiplied, but back then the voters were very annoyed about it. And so they placed, uh, you know, an issue on the ballot to, well, initiative to, you know, put term limits on state legislators. And, you know, it really shaped the makeup of the entire state legislator, because now you had like one third of, you know, incoming or one third of state legislators that that were incoming, of course, they were all new to, you know, the game and the procedures were different. And now like, you know, term limits, um, it's four terms uh, and each term is two years. And so he's been term limit. And that's the only reason why he's leaving office. Otherwise, I believe that he would have just kept putting his name on the ballot. Sure. Oh, for sure. He did not do any active campaigning. And so like in the previous like four um, election cycles that, you know, he's ran in um, any all the candidates that like ran in my spot as the Democrat um, 
well, there weren't any primaries back then. So there were the nomination, the nominees. This is like the first time our district is having a Democratic primary. So back then, all those candidates, they poured thousands and thousands of dollars. And I, if I recall correctly, just in 2020, in the last election cycle, there was a 21-year-old a senior from Umich that ran in from in my seat, um, well, my spot for Paul Zeltwinger's seat. And Paul Zeltwinger spent like around $1,000. And then he spent like 50K and still he lost by like a significant margin. And yeah. to, kind of, to kind of circle back to what's our strategy with community building, obviously, we've talked about how his representative Zeltwanger, he's term limited, but even when he wasn't, he wasn't campaigning. He wasn't anywhere. Right. I can say that my opponent, who's not term limited, I'm running against an incumbent. Her name is Sarah Carruthers. Uh, she will throw on a campaign T-shirt and hop in a parade and wave, but that's about it. She'll pay other people to campaign for her. But my strategy is to outwork her. I mean, Sam and I have both, we were both out on the doors today. It was 95 degrees here in Southwest Ohio and uh, we're putting in the work. Yeah. And like we're, I'm, yeah, we're taking like the Proxmire strat and making it really grassroots. And I think that there's just a lot of inspiration with just Senator William Proxmire. Um, Cheryl Brown, our Senator from Ohio has his desk in the Senate. And so how William Proxmire like, you know, approached you know, running in a red state as a Democrat was that he had like a quota of how many hands he would shake every single day and he would not go to sleep if he didn't reach that quota. And so he like shook so many hands and through that, that's how he won, you know, not just the Senate race, but he was the first candidate of any party in red Wisconsin to win every county. He shook everyone's hand and got, you know, involved. And that's my goal. I'm going to make it, you know, I'm going to make it a, you know, my goal to just walk all over the district and talk to as many voters as possible and just show my, that I've been everywhere. Yeah. I think that's the best thing you can do. Most of the people, when you knock on their door, they've never had somebody knock on their door before. They're going to be like, just so like, nobody's ever asked them. And we would ask people Mm -hmm. like, what can we do for you? How can we help you? What can your representative do for you? What's, you know, and they were like dumbfounded by this. Nobody has ever done anything, but at best never asked, offer to help. Yeah. And uh, you're right. And I think our three campaigns are very similar, Jen. And the fact that, I mean, first of all, for me, listening is so much more important than talking. What can I do for you? Not, can I have your vote? Because right. they'll immediately slam the door in your face. As well as the fact that our districts are both fairly rural. Um, there are a lot of areas where we'll knock on doors and it's not just Democrats that haven't been there. They haven't seen a politician come knock yeah. on their door. It's, right. it's insane. So we need to reach out to every single corner of our district and kind of strategically pick out those votes. Are and you guys most- cross pollinating? I'm sorry. Are you cross pollinating oh, with each other so that like you are like not a slate, but like where you can like collaborate resources? Yeah. Sam squared or Sam's club. We're still trying to decide a name. Sam's club. Man, yeah, that works. I will tell you guys something. Um, way back when, when I first got into this race, I started an offhand Twitter group chat with like five candidates from Southwest Ohio. Sam was one of the ones in there originally. That group chat has grown to be over 70 candidates, incumbents and non-incumbents, congressional, all of, all of our statewide candidates, Tim Ryan, Nan Whaley, um, and we really are forming a community. I've never seen this done before with a statewide slate. We are planning to get together. Our regional candidates are collaborating and we're really showing that the Democrats have a united front here because if we don't, we're going to lose and we can't afford that. And we call ourselves the hashtag flip Ohio blue coalition on Twitter. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
If there's a state that needs to unrig its gerrymandering and uh, really have representation me. for the we, people. Let me t- we've spent some time in Ohio. We were up there canvassing for Nina um, this last time. And I, I'm really a fan of Cleveland. I got to tell you, I've, that city is definitely pleases Honestly, me. Honestly, uh, and, and listen, there's some, there's, there. I just, I love our country. And I think there's unique parts of all of the first four corner states that you go to, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. But honestly, Ohio is the United States of America. It's the most, it is, it, it really is the most representative state of everything in this country. It yeah. is. Yep. When you think about how Southwest Ohio is, how Northwest Ohio is, Columbus, Cleveland, the Southeast portion, yes. which is Appalachia. I mean, it's, it's got everything. Like it, it really does. And what you guys are doing is, I, I don't, the word admirable is not the right no, word. No, we love it. It's love really, it. really important. And building this coalition, you guys, I am sure are familiar with Gen Z for change. You know, these things are necessary because no, it, it, there is sort of like this Republican mindset of, I can't rely on other people to do this. I got to do this myself. So getting in the game, especially in high school, is unbelievable. I assume you guys have... And normally it's always us reaching out to the younger guys that are in college. But have you found that getting volunteers at the college and high school level has been that was that was basically my entire volunteer staff? Yeah, it's like a hit or miss for me. Some of some high school students, they're very interested in the campaign. But of course, it's over this primary is taking place over the summer. And so a lot of people are off to vacation. Yeah. And well, well, one of the. No, go ahead, uh, I was going to say on my side, so kind of a similar situation in that all of my college friends who don't live here in Oxford, where I am, they have moved home for the summer. However, when they come back in a month, we're going to we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. We're going to be all if over. You guys, That's awesome. If you guys have any, uh, we, we are doing campaign strategy now. Uh, it's part of what we do. So it's part if you of guys, what we do yes. Well, we're special. We're we're we're, so we're, special. we're kind of a big deal. And so if you guys have any questions, um, would like to reach us, you know, please shoot us an email. Yeah, uh, we are more than happy to help. You know, help and provide strategy. There is a way to get more volunteers, uh, particularly when it comes to the high school and college students getting course credit having an internship. Yeah. There's a variety of different ways to get them involved. So if you have any questions or anything like that, that we could do to help. Have them out there serving their communities. Yep, Give do. them service hours mm-hmm. and teach them that that's what this is supposed to look like. And in the that's next, what we're really trying to do. And here. the next thing you know, you're picking off voters left and right because they see that what you're doing. Oh, and branding, branding really He does makes make us wear difference. the opposite colors every single show. This is what I'm over here. I could care less. I sometimes I'm just wearing what I'm wearing. And he's like, really? And I'm like, oh God. Yeah, well. Good on him. The man, hey, the man knows how to do color coordination. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I designed like the Here Comes the Sun shirts. That was definitely Jen. And uh, yeah, the marketing is a big thing. If you guys don't currently have uh, any specific uh, like universal branding. Or if you guys need help, thing. feel free to reach out. Yeah, that's, that's what, what we're said. doing. And uh, yeah. you, you, everyone needs a helping hand and you certainly don't need it from the consultant class. No. So if no. you want to know how to do it and do it on a smart budget and be as effective as you can, know how to get the most out of your dollar when you're running for office is also yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Everything for at the very beginning, it was just like me at the very beginning and just a few of my friends. Um, for instance, like, I designed my logo. I edited my, I edited my launch video. I launched my Twitter and I still manage that. And I probably should find someone to do that for me. But 
yeah, everything's grassroots and definitely like I'm not interested in any local consultants. Yeah, don't stay away from them. And it, well, the truth is they're not interested in you unless you're having big numbers. Once you're bringing in money, then they'll all come out of the woodwork <laughs> no, they just, they, for a paycheck. They just don't care about you, period. Yeah, and, they and really don't. People really they really don't. don't. They don't care whether you're campaign. They're not on your mission. They just want a paycheck. That's yeah. another that's another benefit that's come from having this community of candidates. That's not just on Twitter. That's where it started yeah. for sure. Um, but now we're able to connect with so many candidates and incumbents across the state. We can compare notes, compare what we're doing, give yeah. each other strategies. It's really amazing. Yeah. Guys, samcowohio.com and samforohio.com. District 47, District 56, Southwest Ohio. Guys, it really has not only been a pleasure, but it really has been an experience because what you guys doing is inspiring. Yeah. And we hope that there are more people that will see this and recognize that this is how it has to be done. Yeah. And whether you win or lose, keep doing what you're doing. Oh, we're in this doing. for the long haul. Yeah, Sam, yeah. we discussed this. We're Our souls are in Ohio. Yeah, and that's what makes it so good when you do a service type of campaign is win or lose. Your progress, your momentum, your coalition, your organization, your volunteers, you still have a reason to still keep going. Uh, uh, uh. Look, I just wanted to come here and say that I saw these two wonderful young men on our podcast. You love it when the young people No, they do a really great job, and I've inspired inspired a lot of young people, Jen. We've done a good job, and these young kids, they're doing a really good job. I know. Sam, I certainly give you my full support. I hope you do win your primary, and I hope you get elected into office. We need more of the the young kids, the kids, you know? Yeah, and aren't you ready to just be done and pass the torch? Aren't you ready? I mean, wouldn't you rather just sort of retire? Well, look, I mean, I'm not only old enough to be their grandfather, I'm old enough to be their great-grandfather. I know you are. Please don't run for president again. I don't know for sure what I'm going to do, but I promise you I'm thinking really hard about not doing it again because it's a lot of work. And you're old. But I... But look, I know I'm old, but I'm not. I love you. I love you. But I love you guys too, and I wish you lots of luck. I think you're going to do a wonderful job now and for many years to come, long before I'm gone. You know, that's what I'm looking for. Well, yeah. It's always funny when he puts on the Bernie mask when he's wearing the t shirt. It's such this juxtaposition, like with Bernie, because I've never seen Bernie like in a t shirt. Hey, listen, if she runs for Congress again. Yes, I, um, yes. yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, if, if she runs for Congress again and I do a video as Bernie saying Bernie endorses Jen Perlman for Congress, I'm going to need to get Bernie to actually come out of his shell and say, no, I did not endorse Jen Perlman for Congress. <laughs> no, I'll retweet that video. You have my word. <laughs> Same here. Well, God. thank you guys so much for having us on. Thank, thank you, you guys. For doing. Guys, Sam Cow, Sam Lawrence, please support. Chip in. 27 bucks if you could. Phone bank, text bank. And if you happen to be in Louisville, if you happen to be in Cincinnati, if you, frankly, if you happen to be in Indianapolis and you can make the trip to get out there to help, Help. these guys can use all the groundwork. Sign up for a shift. Yeah, that's what we're here for. We certainly can. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. much. Take care. Have a great night. Bye. Well, Jen, what do you normally say? I always say, I'm like, well, they were lovely. Very, very Solid candidates. And, that, as far as and, and Sam Lawrence, and he's still back there in the back yeah. room, but I can see, I, I was meaning to tell him, he has sort of like a young Leonardo DiCaprio thing going on. <laughs> and I remember young Leo from when he was on the Growing Pains age. Like, and this, Leo was on Growing Pains? Oh, yeah. Leo started on Growing Pains. Ah, he was sort of well, like- he certainly his, turned out better than Kirk Cameron, that's for sure. He was like the, the like an, not an adopted kid, but like, a you know, I forget what it was, but yeah, Leo started on Growing Pains. And I remember, but- yeah, Sam sort of had that. Listen, we're not going to, you know, and again, we're not going to agree on his support of uh, Mr. Booth. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Whatever inspires you, inspires to his, you. But 
listen, the one thing you could say about Pete's campaign, he did have a lot of young supporters. He did. And that's one of the reasons why he was as successful as he was. In now, the if States. Sam was sitting there saying, let them drink water about the baby bottles, then that's I would a baby story. from it. But everyone has their reasons for getting involved. And just that's the, the experience of being involved politically really makes a huge difference for a lot of people. I'd love to talk to Dennis. I'd love to talk to Dennis Kucinich. I would. would love to. I loved think, him. Uh-huh. My mom, my mom voted for him. I, at the time that he was running, I wasn't living in Florida. Yeah. And so yeah, I couldn't have, my mom was like, I lived in Texas that when W was governor. So that was never going any other direction. But Jen, bad. it is time to bid adieu. Please tell people where you're going to be for the next six weeks. Oh yes, guys, this is my last show in the studio for six weeks. So I'm going to be in Asheville. Um, I'll be uh, telecommuting. What do we call it? Video. Jen is going to a cabin in the woods to write a book. Well, I'm going to, I'm trying the same book I've been working on for like two years, but this is different. Well, I'm hoping so because I'm hoping somebody helps me. I will, but you're really going to have an opportunity to really have. I'm not going to be in the, no, I'm not. Last year I was on a cannabis farm. That was really nice and secluded. This I'm in West Asheville. So I'll be there for six weeks and, um, yeah, I'll be coming to you from there. So what do we have coming up? Uh, we are going to speak with Garland. Uh, I saw that Dixon. Garland Nixon's coming yeah. on. Uh, that should be a fun chat and that's going to be on Juneteenth. So somebody from the, not just from the black community, but a really important voice who doesn't pull any punches. And we need more of that. Uh, also happy 40th birthday to India Walton. Uh, Ooh. you know, we could shoot her a text. Um, I'm going to, cause I also want to know if she got the first five pages of my book. And, um, a lot of you, uh, saw, Listen, Zach Grauman is oh. definitely more on the moderate side of politics, but Zach Grauman basically told us this evening that he is going to support Ron DeSantis. And so is Elon Musk, who came out today saying that that's who he's going to support. And so what that should tell you is... He didn't really say he was supporting DeSantis. No, he, he kind of did. I'm not going to say he definitively did, but I think I that's where he said that he thinks that the best option right now would be him. Maybe that's true. And against... You know, somebody like Biden, that's who he would feel that he would want to support. And the same is true for somebody like Elon Musk, who, despite not liking the guy, he has an immense amount of support on social media and really can move the needle a la like a Joe Rogan. Elon Musk is a douchebag. But one thing that we have to talk about before we go tonight. What is this? For those of you who still think that the People's Party is a real thing. (laughs) And that's oh, going God. anywhere. I just hate when we mention it because I don't like giving that, that him screen time. Jimmy Dore's running for president of the United States. <laughs> I, had a, I had a light up for that one. <laughs> but it's, it's, I'm having trouble dragging. I'll hold it for hey, you. Hey, Jimmy, it's this having is Having trouble you. dragging. It's so ridiculous. That's for you, Jimmy. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, it just really goes to show you that 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 party is just a farce. That's not a real thing. Who is is taking this seriously? They're not. They're just trying to be spoilers. That's that's what I'm thinking. No, and and again, at least somebody like Jesse Ventura, you can see where people would get excited about him and donate Um, to him. He was a governor. Yeah. <laughs> like he actually has held the executive position over a, the a, most common a government. The most common position that a president holds. Is governor. Overwhelmingly. This is why a lot of people think DeSantis is going to be the next president. Governor, by an overwhelming margin, 
is the elected position of the person who becomes president of the United States. Senator, yeah, it's happened. Vice president, obviously, but that- Governors are definitely yes. in, a, in a position. I the Look, I don't reason, hate him as much as people think that we should. No, I just don't. But again, the only reason why Jimmy would do this and is being propped up by Nick Brana to do this <laughs> is to make money. Oh my God, it's such a grift. Could people. you imagine Jimmy running for president and just going around and doing his thing and people come out and they give him the money? Although what scares me is we said that about Trump and then look. Totally different circumstance. <laughs> I know, I know. Totally different circumstance. Jimmy Dore doesn't, Donald Trump was known the world over when he ran for president. People, some people know who Jimmy Dore is, but nothing he, at that level. Little, it's a small echo chamber. And not the ability to raise hundreds of millions of dollars. But let's say Jimmy does run for president and raises, I don't know, 15, 20 million dollars. That would be really impressive. But that's just a way to make money. That's what it is. Enough people will join enough that. to And enough to write a book. And that'll and they'll make money off writing a book. But the whole point is it's a graft. Anybody who would be taking this seriously, and I mean anybody who would be taking Jimmy Dore running for president seriously, yeah, maybe that maybe that is why Jimmy would run for president again. Maybe he needs a new house. I don't know. Brandon, I don't know what Jimmy is, but I know he's somebody who only thinks about the bottom line. That's for sure. And just to remind people, because I love bringing this story up anytime Jimmy does something. I just like hate, this. I hate even mentioning him. I truly do, because I feel like, why do we even have to acknowledge it? It's so stupid. This was a big story that came out today that he did. The, the People's Party are sending out fundraising emails saying, hey, we got to get Jimmy Dore to run for president. Well, let me remind you all Please that Jimmy that. Dore came down here at the end of 2019 for a comedy show in Miami. I think people have heard this story now. Mm, it's been a while since I've told it. <laughs> right, we got Peter some new people story. here. And there was a lot of people there. Jimmy's got supporters. He probably had a good four, 400 people, you'd say, yeah. in the room. And it was like not in our district, but right next to our district. Right next like to a it. lot of Ten local people. Outside, it was absolutely. all local people. The show lasted for two hours and an hour of it was spent bashing Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Which is good. I mean, it's righteous. You know, I mean, I have no problem with that righteous anger. But never once did he mention, and he knew, that Jen Perlman was in the audience, not that far from him, running against Debbie, did not feel the need to mention that they're in Debbie's territory and that somebody's actually running for Congress. But he did feel the need to announce that Tim Canova was there and to get up and take a bow to the crowd. It was hilarious. It was the most, these are very self-important people. That's what I think. It's just, I just, that was when I knew that the whole thing with Jimmy and that whole thing, that it's, they don't really stand for anything. They don't really mean anything. They just, just want clicks. He's just angry and belligerent. They don't have any real, they don't have desire to really do change. They're just angry and grifting. And I knew that because you come into our town and sit there and talk crap about the person who's a representative here because she does suck. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, she sucks. And then don't acknowledge that there's somebody running against her that's on policy with you, on par with everything you believe. And you don't even bring that up. We could have probably scooped up a dozen of volunteers that night. Easy. It's easy. Just by Jimmy saying, Jed Perlman running right. against Debbie Wilson. Right. Schultz. Give her and some then love. not only didn't he do that, but then he never mentioned us the entire time we were running. He ghosted us. And not only did he ghost us, but then that sort of downplayed to all his little like content creator minions and they ghosted us. Yeah. 
And that's, uh, you know, it's, that's not somebody who's on the team of progress. No. And I knew that then. You, and you had to know, because again, there's this thing where everyone's thinking, well, Jimmy had it out with the Young Turks, and that must mean that Jimmy's the good guy. You know, in many instances, fellas, there are no good guys. Oh, I can tell you that very, very clearly. That is, there, there's a lot of instances where there's no good guys. So trying to always find, oh, yeah, you know, Trump's the good guy because he's fighting against the, the establishment. How about, no, how about none of them are good? They're all bad. Like, it's, it's a full bowl of shit, people. Bernie is great, but Bernie is not willing to go no. where he needs to go. No, he's not. And that's the difference. And you want to call Bernie all kinds of names. Because Jesse Ventura would, though. Jesse Ventura would go. Like Jesse Ventura Jesse on Ventura a debate stage with Joe Biden would have absolutely called him out on everything. No doubt in my mind he would have called him out, whereas Bernie wouldn't do it. And Joe flat out lied. Radical leftist agenda. No one is debating that Jimmy Dore is not better than the Democratic establishment. But wait, wait, wait. What? But you're, that's apples and oranges. Yeah. Is it better than in what way? The Democratic establishment is is sitting in an electoral political position that's stifling all of us. Jimmy is sitting there screaming to not even be involved with them whatsoever, even though there is no other real venue there. They are not getting a presidential candidate on the ballot in 24. They haven't had ballot access in any state. They've been around for five years. How long has it been? We had a show, go back and look at it, where we spoke with somebody who was one of the original volunteers on their camp, on the People's Party movement. And they what they did was nothing. They had, they remember, had plenty of time to have let, candidates. And let's remember something, too. And, and this is this is something we could definitely say about Jimmy. He's been very adamant about the fact that he will not platform anybody within the Democratic or Republican Party. OK, fine. There are countless, countless seats that are nonpartisan, including a very important seat in Los Angeles that just went to an amazing non-corporate activist leader in Ken Mejia. Somebody who ran in the Green Party twice, got the nomination last election cycle against Jimmy Gomez, was very competitive going to the general, and now he's going to be the comptroller of Los Angeles. Why didn't Jimmy ever mention this guy? You want to bring change that's outside the two-party system? This is how you do it. I mean, to me, that, that to me is, is everything. City council, county commission, they really are important. Mayor, these in many ways, like these two young gentlemen, Sam Cow and Sam Lawrence, who came on tonight. How cute were they? Awesome kids. Love those boys. I like all these kids that are so into. I love the guys locally. We have young people locally that amaze me. And and again, uh, Maoist. Now you're getting into semantics. We understand what you're saying. I agree. The system is still corrupt to the core. And if you want to change it, you must elect non-corporate representatives. You must do outside work like mutual aid. You must be willing, as as our good friend Jordan Chariton of Status Quo mentioned, you have to be doing economic boycotts. That's how you really get I changed. don't have a problem with conservative people. I no. don't at all have a problem with conservative people. We've had this discussion many times on this show. We'll have people on... Um, and then we once had somebody say, well, how do you expect to pull them to the left? I don't expect to pull them to the left. I expect to work with them where they are. Yeah. That's how things are going to get done, because the reality is we agree with them on most things. Most people in this country agree on the big issues. They do far and wide, not even close on economic populism. 
that is something where, yeah, I'm going to work with people that are Trumpers. If they are supporting labor and they're fighting for unionization and they're out marching with like your John Deere workers or your coal miners, then yeah, I don't care if they're Trump supporters. We're all fighting for labor. This is the problem. And I think it's a bigger problem on the left. So yes, I agree. And I wouldn't say I agree with the whole idea that right wing populism, it's just a matter of if somebody is socially conservative versus socially liberal, that is really not my concern right now. We're, we're in a dire situation and all of the working people need to unite against the top people. Yeah, That's what a revolution is. That's what needs to happen. And instead they have us punching left and right and kicking down. And listen, if you we're like- very distracted. And, and listen, I've, I've listened to Jimmy for years and he still does really great bits. You know, his show is entertaining. He does have righteous anger. I have no doubt that most of it is real, but- Jimmy's a businessman. I don't dislike him because of his political or his political or social beliefs. Jimmy, I dislike him because I think he's a grifter. Jimmy does what he does because he's going to go wherever the most money is to be made. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how people at this point can't see that. And Sam Cedar was right to bring it up. Well, we knew this was coming, that Jimmy was going to try something like this. How could you not see it happening? How could you not see that Jim, if Jimmy knows that he can make a few million dollars running for president, why would he not do it? Which to me makes him be exactly the same as Trump, because basically totally the same, totally the you're same. a showman and you're doing griftership. I just don't have respect for that. I don't think you're part no. of the solution. I think you're causing more division than you're worth and you're profiting on it. So to me, it isn't that I, that he is conservative or not conservative. None of that. I can get along with all sorts of people. I have friends that are pro-life. I can get along with all sorts of people with all different viewpoints. But when you're in it for the reasons that are self-serving and narcissistic, you're not really on my team in terms of the fight that I'm fighting for just the people that are the least of these. That's what I'm about. So if you're not fighting for the least of these and you don't feel a responsibility for collective, you know, and all you're doing is being angry and yelling and just causing more division, we're not on the same page. We're not on the same team. And I, it doesn't matter whether or not what his personal views are. Like, it's nothing to do with his political views. Yeah. Just saying. And another thing that we noticed, which I thought was very telling, Everyone knows right now where the trajectory of the political winds are moving. After what happened with Ms. Flores winning her race in South Texas the other day, this has been a Democratic stronghold for generation after generation after generation. This is a sign of what's coming in the midterms. It's also a sign of where the Democrats get things wrong regarding their messaging in terms of how they deal with uh, with uh, migration and immigrants. If you don't know how to handle this particular talking point or you are just going to give in to the notion of we can have open borders when the overwhelming majority of this country does not want that. Are you telling me, wait, 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 a candidate was was promoting open borders in a Texas primary? But basic, well, that's what they also were trying to do with Cisneros because Cisneros is extremely lax when it comes to immigration. And that's why Cuellar really won his race. That probably as much as anything. Now, Pelosi and all of them coming down to help absolutely made the, the difference in terms of the vote I, margin. The whole thing disgusts me. But that without question. Although maybe she'll come on our show now. When you have a candidate that, frankly, we agree with, like an Amy Valella, only gets 16% of the vote to 84% of the incumbent Dina, Dina Titus. 
you know, there's also something to be said for the mm-hmm. strategy that's also important. And as we discussed, this particular year has been a really unique year running for office. But every election cycle, you're usually able to get one or two through. Yeah, that's all. You really can't count on much. We've gotten one. You've got Summer Lee in, in, in Pittsburgh. And I do think that John Fetterman is going to win the Senate race in Pennsylvania. I also do think that uh, you lean. How do I say what I say? You You lean new. She has a really good chance to win that congressional seat in New York 10. Yeah. So TM, Yang is 30 years older than Sam. Okay. Give Yang a break, man. All right. Don't pick on older people. Yeah, he doesn't, he's not gonna look like, you know, the young Jet Lee thing going on there, whatever you're thinking. I mean, I, we would I, have, I appreciate and, and that. And we would have Rashida Tlaib on our show. And frankly, she I'd probably should she should come on our show because now she's got Mr. DC Swamp Dweller himself, Bakari Sellers getting paid a million dollars as part of a corporate pack to try to knock her out of office, which is part of the, the APAC, um, you know, the, whatever they call that group. Uh, I'm not so sure that St- I, I, right now, uh, I don't think Stacey Abrams is going to win her race. Um, but I, I, listen, I'd rather be proven wrong. I, I think that we obviously prefer Stacey Abrams. Yeah. Uh, like that would be our preference there. And I definitely, definitely hope that Senator Warnock keeps his seat against Herschel Walker. Oh, that guy is like, he's just. Talk about terrible. And he comes off extremely stupid. He is. Because oh he said, again, well, listen, when, you, when you've taken as many hits to the head as a professional well, football I, player Well, I wonder has, about that. I wonder about that. But, you know, he just, he comes off extremely stupid. Yeah. But again, I would say reg- bringing the cold conversation full circle regarding Jimmy is. We need to have an immigration topic panel. We yeah. haven't really done that. Yeah. I don't. I, my whole thing is, is that. <clears throat> Jimmy does not look to help anybody. But himself. I, I, I really wish people would see that. Who's he working for? Like, in a sense that what are his policies? What is he about now? What is he about? Uh, to me, it's, I don't get a sense like, okay, for example, Yang's about UBI, Bernie's about Medicare for all. Like people are about something, right? Like what's he about? What's he trying to do other than crap on anybody who's doing it differently than him? Like, I just don't, I just don't get what he's about. What is he selling? As I said, I really think at this point, uh, it's all about his brand. Jen's never running for a statewide office. <laughs> That's not happening. Maybe I will. You never know. Well, that's fine. You might have it in you to drive all around the state. I don't. State's too big. If I lived in Rhode Island, if I lived in Delaware, you know, I'd consider running a statewide race. Florida, not happening. So again, anyone who would even take Jimmy's attempt to run for president in the People's Party. And I'll say one more thing. How is is Jimmy going to even run for president in the People's Party when they have barely any ballot access? They they have no. Well, that's what I'm saying. They have not done anything to build up the infrastructure to put in place to even have local candidates. They don't even have local or statewide like they don't have the infrastructure. How are you going to get somebody on the ballot through a party that doesn't have ballot access? I don't understand how they're going to do that. They really think they're going to be able to achieve that like in another year when they've had however many years and haven't done it. I just think that it's silly. And anybody who gives them money is insane. Better spent in other places. And these are the people that were telling people not to donate to Nina's campaign. Oh, yeah. Well, 
Not that we, not that we don't have our own criticisms of how Nina's that's neither here nor there. Race, there is no doubt we, as to why she's in. But it. Nina is definitely in it for the right reason. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, Greens do. Yeah, well, that's great. He could support that, but that isn't an option. That's the thing. It's good to support that. I support that. I support, yeah. I can't stand the duopoly. I can't stand the Democratic Party. I don't give them a dime. I will never give them a dime. That's why I'm not in the clubs. That's why I'm not part of any of their stuff. That's why it'll be amazing if you do run again and win, you even make it past one term because they expect you to raise money for the party. Like they expect you to do that. Yeah, good luck to them with that. I will not give them a dime. I don't support them. They take our state party takes money from Big Sugar, takes money from Walmart. Um, I am not going to get a, no. So I don't support them. And I when don't like that gets, party. And, when I, and when I see our fellow progressives down here in South Florida complaining about the fact that the Publix family donates to Ron DeSantis, it's like you. It would be one thing if the Democrats weren't guilty of similar atrocities. They take money from Walmart. Like, come on, man. So it's just, there's no, to me right now where I am, there is no party that I feel affiliated with. I am registered as a Democrat because that's the duopoly. It's where I live. But I don't feel like, I don't, I'm really, you know what? I'm, I'm my own wolf pack. I, I, not like, not like anything having to do with Tim if Black's you, wolf pack, but like, I'm thinking more out of the hangover. Like I'm a one man wolf pack. Like I don't like parties. I feel that's one of the reasons I love Jesse. If you guys have not seen our interview with Jesse Ventura from Monday, please check it out. We're yeah. going to have clips up. The uh, ultimate independent. Soon. We've got a lot of them really coming up. See, but then you don't it. want me doubling up clips and then things no, come out that are new. No, but you know, it's uh, hard. well, I would say that what I would do is that I, I would do like a, I think we should. As soon as we get it together, I think we should do a Jesse clip like once a day. We should do like starting this weekend and then, you know, right, we're going to have you, like multiple ones to work yeah, with. Yeah, well. But it was a great interview. It was a great interviews tonight. This was really a great week. Next week. Uh, Garland Nixon. Garland Nixon is on Monday. And then we're going to have. That's a really good Juneteenth guest. Yeah. And then on uh, June 22nd. Yeah. We're going to have uh, that lady uh, about the water. Oh, I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I was driving around in one of Florida's monsoons not that long ago, and I'm on the highway, and the roads, if I tell you, it's like, it looks like a sliding waterfall just sliding down and pouring off the sides of the highway. Like you, could, it, it almost looks like you could run a water mill from, from this. And I'm wondering, why don't we have municipal rainwater collection? Why is the county not setting it up so that, because you can, and so I'm like, is that a thing that's even done? Like, do people do that? So I started researching it. And yes, it is a thing that can be done. And it's something where you could end up having rainwater collection attribute for like 30% of your town's gray water usage and for things like irrigating and all this. And I just, I, it amazes me that nobody's ever really, we don't talk about this. And so I found someone, I looked this up and sure enough, it is a smart thing to do. It's a cost efficient thing to do. And just it's not politically sexy thing to do. So we're going to have on somebody who knows about rainwater collection. And um, I know it's going to be one of those shows that's not sexy and not fun. But I got to tell you, people, I think we should be doing things like that. We really appreciate you guys, as always, as you know. But our show could always use more support. Definitely. If you can go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. One of the things that we do, again, because we do not pay ourselves, the money that would come in would go, for example, if you like the two candidates, Sam Cow and Sam Lawrence, that were on tonight, 
if you were to become patrons, there's a good chance that we will contribute to their campaign. We do that, but we also do service money. Service money. So we'll do beach cleanups, homeless care packages. Yeah, I do homeless care packages. And we also, we need to get back in with Z over at Mobile School Pantry. I yes. looked up, they have no upcoming distribution. So I don't know well, what's going it is, over it's, there. Well, the school year is over, but right, they right, have right. events coming up. So. But I, you know, we just, we were able to give um, money to the new community garden at Hallandale High School. So that's what the money is for. The money that comes in for our podcast. It's really just for us to do good things for people. So if you guys like what we have to do, if you like our commentary, if you like the work we do locally, if you like the guests that we bring on and you want to help our channel expand, because that's really what we need. We have a much uh, we have a more successful growing social media right now, especially on TikTok. But it does cost money and we want to be able to keep doing it. So if you like if you like what we're doing, if you like our content and you want to keep it going. Please go to patreon.com yeah. forward slash generational change. Five bucks a month, people. Not a lot of money, guys. It's five bucks a month. You know what I'm It's talking very about? helpful. I mean, we're this is not exactly like some big enterprise that we have going on here, but I'd really like for us to be able to keep paying. Um, we have somebody that's doing some stuff for us, like video clips, TikTok stuff. And I think all it's really new, helpful. Yeah. All of our new people that are here, TM Martin, LA Comedians. Yeah, Matt, guys, check us out because uh, I really want to be traders, able to keep these Which they are. Yeah. You guys are all new. Momo, if you like our content. Both parties are traitors. That was the like when we were talking. That's one of my favorite books that Jesse Ventura wrote. It's called Democrips and Rebloodicans. And it's true. They're horrible. And I am not a fan. Mm. So I agree. Like we're not I am by no means. We, I think, criticize both parties fairly equally. The Democrats are particularly more annoying to me because Technically, that's my party. So it's sort of like you, you fix your own thing first and then move on. Like before I can criticize the other, the other house, you, you I got to get my well, house in yeah, order. You can't put out a fire in another person's house if yours is already on fire. Right, right. So that's so, what you're trying to learn. Yeah. And that's the thing with the Democrats. Plus, they are supposed to technically be the Labor Party. That's supposed to be their lane. And they're the ones who are no longer serving labor. The Republicans were sort of the corporate management party to begin with, at least in my lifetime, we don't need to get into the various in incarnations of the parties. But like, I just think that that's why, for the same reason I find Obama the most disappointing. I have higher expectations for the people that are at least in theory supposed to be the working people party. So with that said, we're not going to see it for a while. You know, I don't know if it can do electricity, but it can be used as drinking water. It can be, you know, Which used to treat. It's Rather huge. Rather than having to, but, you know, buy water and put it in plastic. I mean, yeah, hey. it is huge, and you still have to use like plants and stuff to purify. This is the type of thing that we should. You this know. is why I'm having her on. I really want to know because, like, I'm sitting there looking at five ninety five. Yeah. That thing could be running a water mill and like probably, you know, churning enough electricity for something. I don't get, even uh, know what it's we capable get, of. We really need to get the. Um, What's it called? The uh, the Sunrise Movement to pay attention to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, and I've actually thought there's a couple of people that I think would be great that I'd love to talk to about this, like people that are in for whatever reason, like water type of stuff. Um, like water, it's a very important thing, water. And we're in a bad way with ours down here and we're going to be running out of it. And they, I think we need to be thinking of some creative ideas um, and this isn't even that creative, quite honestly. It's like, there's just water. It's just coming out of the sky. Why would you not 
harness it. We have some people that do residential. Florida actually does reward that, is my understanding. Like they're supportive of the idea of residential rainwater collection. What I'm talking about is municipal rainwater collection um, at a grander, bigger scale. It's a great idea and it's a great thing for the environment. So hopefully we'll get some pointers and maybe that's a project we can work on locally. I think it's, I think it would be great. And Florida is very amenable to it. I actually found that out. So it is, which we should at least take advantage of that until they find that and crush it like they're doing with solar or they're trying to do with solar. (laughs) Yeah. If they can't make a buck on it, then who the hell knows? But But, um, we appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoyed. Remember, go check out our interview with Jesse Ventura. Clips will be up soon. We'll see you from Monday. We'll see you Monday from Asheville. Well, I'll be in Asheville. You'll be sitting right here. And I'll be right there. (laughs) Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.